Hello, and welcome to Being Human. If you're new here, or if you're returning and you haven't yet, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you do not miss any future content coming from Being Human. On this episode of the podcast, I sat down with James Mystery. James is a photographer, videographer, content creator, a prominent member of MMA media. And even though we had a bit of a debate about this, even though he himself wouldn't label himself as this, I certainly would, an MMA journalist. Mystery's job takes him all over the world, covering the biggest and best combat sports events. He's covered everything from the Nganu and Fury fight just a few weeks ago to the BMF title fight in Madison Square Garden a few years ago. He's interacted and interviewed with the likes of Conor McGregor, Khabib Nurmagomedov, Francis Ngannou, as we just mentioned. Really is at the pinnacle of his craft and has some amazing opportunities on the regular to speak with the best fighters on the planet. We talked a lot about what that's like, how impressive it is and how it is difficult sometimes to stay present in such an awesome such a monumental and surreal situation we talked about what conor mcgregor is like in real life what khabib's like in real life what it was like for him to witness his close friend tom aspinall recently captured a ufc heavyweight interim title we also discussed what percentage of ufc fighters are on steroids how mystery got into this job and broke into the industry in the way that he has. We talked a whole lot about MMA. And of course, with this being being human, not just MMA, but philosophy, psychology, God, religion, spirituality, all of that usual stuff too. This was a long one. We really could have kept on talking all night. So buckle in. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, please make sure to hit that subscribe button, like, comment, and share too. Thank you for watching and thank you for supporting being human. Yeah, yeah, Are you yeah, sure? have, yeah, have some of that. Yeah. I'll be uh, polite with it. Uh, <laughs> mate, it probably gets in my lungs. <laughs> when I went on that uh, stag do, obviously I don't smoke or anything, but just being around the smoking area for like three, four days, I noticed a difference. No way. Yeah, Did you really? Back, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's hard to tell, but like I, I got back last week and I didn't drink, didn't smoke. And I was blowing, and it did feel like something was cleaning out. Yeah, it did feel like part of it was respiratory. Yeah, yeah. When when I've because I've gone on to this now for about three two months now, I've not had any cigarettes at all, and my cardio is definitely I feel an an improvement. An improvement. Yeah. I'm switching from cigarettes to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah which is okay. uh, that doesn't mean that my cardio is at optimal level. Yeah. It just means that. That's not better bad. for you. Well, it's, that's what cigarettes. it feels like. Yeah, I don't know if it is or it isn't, but I mean, it, I'm sure it's a percentage less. You know, it's got to be fifty percent or less mm. worse than even a cigarette. Like the actual hot heat of a of a burning flame that's producing smoke that you inhale. Obviously, it's somewhat similar, but it's extremely less damaging chemicals. But I want to wean off it all together completely, but I think like since since doing jujitsu, that's really been the eye opener for me. Like of test of understanding where my cardio is at. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I was away. I'll let you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, <laughs> when I'd go Wrestling, away, wrestling, fighting with a man, like full on one hundred percent, mate, big time in it. So when I was um, 
I'd go away for like two or three weeks with work and then I'd come back and then I'd I'd naturally been like quite unhealthy whilst I was away, like, you know, like smoking and eating shit and then I'd come back and I can like one round and I'm like, God, I don't know if I've got any more in me. And now I'll now I've stopped smoking and I'll have a three week break, improved health, not optimized perfectly still, but improved, and I come back and I can do three comfortably now like three five minute rounds comfortably but then then when i'm watching everybody now this is my next stage i've got to go but then when class ends and i'm watching motherfuckers do the open match straight after and i'm like yo fuck i really want to do it but i can't (laughs) so that's my nature isn't it yeah we always want the next stage no matter where you're at you're always going to look above and that's it there's always going to be another summit and you're going to look at it and think i want to go there absolutely mate absolutely that's life as well isn't it yeah 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 definitely and i always believe that and as a kid i feel like you know that saying like aim for the stars and you'll reach the ceiling land on the moon yeah or something like that you might land on the moon exactly yeah yeah Yeah. so true mate. it's so true it is yeah i I think um because my philosophy is everything i do i do it not just 100%, I'll do it with the mindset that I want to be the best in the world mm-hmm. at it. And I've got the rationality to know I'm not going to be the best in the world at what I do in, in anything, I don't think. No matter what I do, whether it's podcasting, jiu-jitsu, I don't think I'm going to be the best in the world. But that's That's how... interesting. Why? Because I, uh, I, thought you would, I thought yeah. you would think you did. I feel like, because you know when you go into a fight, and this is interesting, like, when you go into a fight, though, and you have to have that mindset that I'm the best in the yeah. world or that I'm 100% going to beat this guy. Because you can't go into that. What's the point in going into a fight like thinking I'm going to lose mentally? They're like, what's the point? I don't get it. Yeah. So, like I said, I have that rationality where I know I'm not going to be the best in the world at any one thing. The reason I'd say that is because I've, not spreading myself too thin, but I do a lot of different things that aren't conducive to one another. So even like take the physical things that I do, mountaineering, fell running, and jujitsu, even though they're both in the physical realm, they're still very different sports. And one doesn't necessarily improve the other. Obviously, yeah, running up mountains improves my fitness, which helps cardio for jujitsu. But at the same time, it's wrecking your knees, which isn't good for jujitsu. And if you're spending you know, nine hours on a Sunday running up mountains, you're not spending nine hours on the mats getting better at it. So I, 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 I that's do... why I would say, like, I don't think I'm going to be the best in the world at anything that I'm doing right now because I'm not all in mm. on any one thing because I'm doing too many things. I would say as well, slightly counter it, that you're quite young. And at this stage in your life, it's somewhat about throwing as much shit on the wall as you can mm. and then seeing what sticks. And maybe you're going through that process of just throwing shit on the wall right now. Like, what's going to work for me? What's gonna... I think so. And then in a few years, you'll realize, like, oh, that one on the wall over there, <laughs> that's stuck. Yeah. And then, then you'll become the best in the world. I think, like, 30 to 50 is, is when you'll become the best in the world at what you do. Depends, though, right? Because not at something like jiu-jitsu. You're not what? going to become the best in the world... Well, how old, how, how old Gordon Ryan? Gordon Ryan, he's, he's a lot younger than he looks. Gordon Ryan's only 28, I want to say. Is he really? Yeah, he's only 28. So he became a black belt when he was 
about 20. Uh, okay, yeah, there's definitely a few industries that rely on your body and things like that. Yeah, so the physical pursuit. Mountaineering's a, an interesting one, though, because, I mean, you'll see mountaineers that are still, you know, scaling 8,000 meter peaks into their 40s, 50s. I mean, my granddad did Mont Blanc when he was 60 years old. That was the biggest mountain he ever did. So mountaineering is a bit different, weirdly, because your like steady state long endurance seems to peak a lot later than things like speed, even strength. So totally. it does it does depend depending on the sport, the kind of physical endeavor. And, I think. and also the complete um, topic that you're doing as well. Like for me. I remember because this topic's interesting to talk about because I've had this discussion many times with different people, especially when I was growing up because I I got into all of this because a bit by accident, but I was like an arty guy growing up, I, uh, doing like art fashion, um, art-based photography, street photography. And when I was doing that and I was looking at the practitioners in my field that I looked up to, they were all 50, 60 something years old like they like peaked in the art world later so i was always of the assumption that oh as i'm doing this I, like i've got like 20 to 30 years to make it like that's how i yeah I, I i thought about my world but then like when you look at someone like jake wills for example who's 16 17 years old and he's got somewhat of a similar mentality at such a young age like it blows my mind in a really healthy positive way to see kids these days with that type of maturity and it's something that I never had and it's something that I think we get as we get a little bit older definitely me so to see it in on somebody so young in a sport that needs you to be so young and on it at such a good time like it, that inspires me do you know what I mean 100% and I think that's an interesting point as well that MMA is at the point now where it's become an established sport enough where it's becoming more like football, rugby, where if you're going to go pro and you're going to become world-class, you have to start at a young age. Before, because it was the Wild West, and Jiu-Jitsu is kind of joining MMA with this, because it was the Wild West, there's not a structured system, kids don't grow up learning how to do a rear naked choke and how to throw a punch like they do, how to kick a football, there was the opportunity for people to get into it, when I say later in life, later in their athletic development, so early 20s, late 20s, even early 30s. Whereas now, because it's becoming more of a mainstream sport, people are starting a lot younger mm -hmm. and that door for a 25-year-old to just walk into an MMA gym and potentially go pro and potentially go to the UFC, I think those days are, I think those days are over for MMA and they're closing for Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, I think they're closing on both both parts. I think yeah. if you've got the talent, you you ultimately you'll get there. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, if 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 you are twenty two and you somehow had never done any martial arts in your life, and come twenty five, twenty six, you're like in there looking like Jimmy or Josh for them. You know what I mean? Sometimes mm. God just gives it you or whatever. Yeah, you so some say. people like yeah. John Jones. I think John Jones probably could have started MMA at any age. Hundred um, percent. But then, like the normal would have been amazing. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, sorry, yeah. talking earlier. No, no, it's okay. No. Schoolboy. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to be the pro. <laughs> um, but yeah, just to wrap, cycle back to the original point about um, attacking what I do with the mentality that I'm going to be the best in the world, even though I don't 
rationally think I will end up being. I have that mentality for jiu-jitsu, and even though I don't think I'm going to end up being the best in the world at jiu-jitsu, I think I can make a good run at it, a good run at it, and you know compete on big stages because that window is still slightly open for people like me who started jits early twenties as opposed to teenage years. For us to, to to still make it, whereas I think in five years' time, someone like me who only started jiu-jitsu in their early 20s they won't have enough time to catch up with the people that have been doing it since they were 10 years old 12 years old so yeah i, I tend to think think about things in a rational way but also be very ambitious yeah with my mentality definitely and i think that's very sensible i do feel though like no matter what anybody says i do feel like it comes down to how much you want it mm. age like all of that, like I do agree with everything you've said, but there are a few like slots available for the odd anomaly that wants it that that bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That person that like, no, I want not like the kind of person where like, yeah, yeah, I think I can be best in the world. I'm, I'm going to try my hardest to be best in the world. Not that guy, but the guy that is like, no, I'm fucking going to be the best in the world. I'm going to change my life around it. And that's all I'm thinking about best in the world best in the world best some of those people there are some of those people that exist that fail and fall off and they had that drive that heart that mental that mentality but from my life experience i can't help but feel that the universe will test you so many times and put you in a position where it wants you to stop and then if you stop brilliant for the universe <laughs> But then, <laughs> do you think that do you think God, the universe, do you think when it sends you, when he, she, whoever sends you those challenges, do you think it has a little giggle when you do stop, <laughs> or do you think it's like ah, no, I, I think wanted it, you to overcome that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think it'd actually be disappointment. Like, ah, mm. okay, don't worry. Yeah, it's, next time around. Yeah, like, next not even next through. time. Next person. Yeah, next person. I don't think it would sit and dwell on whether the, it's ultimately just a test. Do you, how much you want it? You said you wanted it this much. You said you wanted it this much. Now, do you still want it? I'm going to put a challenge in front of you. No. Okay. Oh, this guy continued. Okay. Cool. 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 And eventually, you're going to have one or two. If you three don't people. want it, there's going to be someone. Yeah. And it'll give does. you like three or four challenges that will make you think it's over. And if you stay then all of a sudden things get better. It's really, like, I know that sounds really simplistic and... But it's true. But well, that's, that's my experience. It feels like it's so true. Far. It feels like it's true for sure. Yeah. yeah. And like you, like you said, against what we're talking about when your prime years are, there are always anomalies. Look at Glover Teixeira. He won the belt at 42 years old after he lost to Jones. Yeah. He was on a decline. No one expected him in more than, you know, in 10 years' time, basically, to be back in the position of having a title shot and then winning the title. Yeah. Michael Bisping, at the tail end of his career with one eye, ends up winning the belt. And it is that delusional belief. And I do think you have to... Being deluded in life as a whole is not a healthy mindset to be in. But for competition, whatever it is, whether it's MMA, another sport, whatever your competitive endeavour is, delusion will help you. Mm. If you can delude your... And I think Conor McGregor's... Conor McGregor is maybe the best illustration of this point how it can end up being um, 
a detriment to you in life as a whole, but wow, it can be a powerful, powerful force yeah, yeah, for you as a professional, as a competitor. There's a lot of people that have unwavering self-belief. And, you know, Paddy Pimlet's another one of those guys that, you know, a lot of people, you know, I hear a lot of guys say, just like, yeah, Paddy's not as good as, as they think, as, I, as people say he is, blah, blah, blah. But with his skill set, which is phenomenal, and with that mentality, they are a dangerous pair. They really are. When you truly believe it, like Paddy does, like Connor does, that's when it's, like, dangerous. And like you said, it's just... It's a delusion that in some ways it is a delusion, but in some ways it's not a delusion. Do you know what I mean? It's a delusion because we don't know it at the moment. Only they are aware of it. But is it still a delusion when they are the world champion and they then they are the best in the world? Then was it a delusion this whole time? Or was it real? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. was Conor McGregor deluded or was he or was, or was he, he right? Or was he right? All, all was, was God whispering in his ear, and it was like, okay, yeah, yeah I hear you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm gonna do it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It is. On the note of Paddy Pimlet, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Well, I'm gonna say a statement. Tell me whether you agree, and I'll ask you a question off the back of that. Paddy Pimlet at the moment is not good enough to win a UFC title. What do you think he needs to do to become good enough? So tell me if you agree with that statement, and then depending on whether you do or not, answer the follow-up question. Um, based on what we've just spoken about right now, I would say, yeah, he he, I I don't I don't agree with that. I would say that he is capable of winning a championship right now. Right now, I, I'd say that about anybody in the top 15. I know Paddy's not ranked just yet, is he? Or is he? I think if he is, he's... going to be 15. Like 14th or, or 15th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think any of those guys have ha- have it in them to do it. Come rain or shine, you know, look at Strickland and Adesanya. He was... He wasn't even supposed to get a title shot, was he? He got yeah. it was a last-minute thing. And, you know, if you'd ask me, does Strickland win a championship in his division... I would have said no. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't think anyone would have said yes. Yeah, yeah. No, nobody saw that. No, no, nobody. So, you know, like, what these guys put, put themselves through, you know, I get to see glimpses of it every day. And and with those glimpses that I do see, I do believe that all of these guys can be champion. Um, and in terms of what he has to do to get better, I'd just say... Nothing in particular other than maintaining that outlook on life that I want to be the best. As soon as that hunger subsides, that's when the issues will start creeping in. Do you know what I mean? When you get yeah. comfortable. when they, And at the moment, Paddy's hungry as a motherfucker. Do you know what I mean? So at the moment, probably now's a better time than ever for him to, to win a championship mm. belt, really. It's just, it's just perspective, I suppose. Different perspectives and things like that. Um, but no, I'd say I'd say he's more than capable. Let's take it back to the start then. Yeah. What originally got you into MMA? Uh, as a and and was it as a fan or did it come from your work? You mentioned being an arty guy even from when you were young. Did you get into MMA through content creation or were you a fan first and then the professional side of things came after? Yeah, I was a fan first. Um, 
and I wish I could say that I got into it earlier than the era. I'm gonna ex- tell you that I did get into it, but I didn't. But it was around the McGregor Chad Mendes kind of era, um, and the Bisbing winning his belt kind of era. Um, obviously, McGregor came first. And then as I started getting into it more and more, I was like, oh, shit, okay, cool, cool, cool. My first ever UFC event I ever went to was UFC 204. So that puts into perspective as well that it's like quite... Was an... that Woodley Till? No, it was no. Um, Bisbing Henderson Till. Oh, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, up yeah. in Manchester. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't have any friends that were interested in martial arts. I had one. And I kind of groomed him into a mixed martial arts because <laughs> I worked with him and I, I had my own business and it was like creating social media content for like local businesses, essentially shit. And, um, <clears throat> and I had Jamie who I'd worked with in one of my old jobs in a photography studio. And, um, when I set up my business, I bought Jamie and, and we used to have, we had a studio and every day I'd just put on podcasts, MMA related podcasts. And I used to watch embeddeds at work and I used to just think like, fuck, how do I get a job like that? Like, and I'd dream about it. And then I'd wash my dreams away. Just like, mate, you live in Leicester. These vacancies are out in Las Vegas for a start. What are you going to do? You're going to move, they're going to see your CV, some lad in Leicester that's just fucking reels for restaurants and they're gonna be like yeah let's get it like no that's not gonna happen so just real just get over it just think of something else and just enjoy martial arts and then i was just like i really want to get it i wouldn't mind trying some jujitsu and i wouldn't mind trying some striking so i saw one of my mates who actually went to uh, school with um I never actually saw him at the school, but we went to the same school. His name's Dan Hepworth, obviously. Oh, obviously, yeah, the yeah. guys know. I saw he was fighting on Instagram, having fights, and I messaged him, and I was like, um, "Can I get a private with you?" So I started doing some weightlifting with Dan Hepworth, and then I was like, "Man, I really want to do some jujitsu. Can we add some jujitsu on the end of these privates?" And he would, and he would like walk me through like anaconda and stuff like this and then where was this sorry was this, this at muscle machine it was me yeah, yeah it's a muscle, muscle machine in leicester and um and then he was just like you know where you need to go you need to go see jimmy warner that would be best for you and i was like all right cool like obviously i knew who jimmy was but for some reason the two didn't click because my head wasn't fully in the martial arts world properly mm. but you knew who jimmy was i knew who jimmy was yeah yeah um so so, so you built up a um you must have gone like straight in deep dive on MMA when you discovered it. Yeah. Because obviously was. there's a big difference between uh, jumping, not jumping on the bandwagon, but you know what I mean? Like yeah, totally. the big McGregor rise, yeah. you know, becoming a big UFC fan. Yeah. And then also quickly knowing who Jimmy Wallhead was. Because I'll, I'll admit, I'd been, I've been a fan of the UFC since 2010, 2011, when Jones first won the title. And when I rocked up at Hardy Wallet for the first few weeks, I had no idea. You know, yeah. I had no idea that the, the man teaching me was Jimmy Wallhead yeah, and who yeah. Jimmy Wallhead was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's funny, isn't it? How like, That's happened to me in certain situations as well. And I've been like, oh, oh, that's it. Oh, shit. But, I should know who that is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so 
I actually, the first time I came down and introduced myself with Jimmy was the kind of like, and I know this sounds a bit seedy and creepy, but I, I kind of mapped in my head like a way, because I used to say to myself like, you knew what you wanted. I knew what you I wanted what to do, wanted. mate. I knew it. And I, like I was that. just like, I was wish I had a time machine to go back and like go to McGregor versus Brandau or McGregor's last fight in Cage Warriors. And I just wanted to like be like, hey, I'll make you videos. And like, I'm, do you know what I mean? Like, I wish I had an opportunity to go in there and be his cameraman. That's how I, I entered martial arts thinking about what do I want to do? Well, I want to be someone's cameraman. That would be sick. So that's how I was thinking. I was like, okay, well, maybe there's a way to get to Darren Till. So I was like, well, maybe if I go here, then a link will open up here. And then maybe a link will open up here and then I can go to Darren. That's like how I was thinking. And um, Jimmy was, um, no, Dan invited me down. I made Dan a really cool video. Still probably one of the best videos I think I've ever made in martial arts. And, and this uh, was Dan Hardy, sorry. No, this was Dan oh, Hepworth. Yeah. And then that's when I met Jimmy and then Jimmy was like, oh, can you make me some videos? And I was like, yeah, sure. So then um, I started training a bit more Then I was actually going down and I was training and Jimmy was teaching me and I was loving it and thought it was so cool. And um, then Jimmy started telling me that him and Dan were going to open a gym together. And I was like, sick, well, maybe I could do like social media for your accounts or something. And uh, Jimmy was like, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea, actually. Let me speak to Dan. So then they spoke, and then I was at training one day, and then I was in, we were drilling some submissions, and Jimmy just came over to me, and he was just like, what are you doing tomorrow? And he's like, Dan wants to see you tomorrow. And I was like, wow. And this was Dan Hardy. Yeah, this yeah. is now Dan Hardy. And I was like, wow, Dan Hardy wants to see me tomorrow. I was like, fuck, wicked. And I was just thinking in my head, like, oh, sick, I'm going to be able to, like, make Dan some cool content for the gym or whatever. And so I go around and um, this is, so I pull up the next day and Dan, Dan sent me his address. And I remember this for the rest of my life. And I pulled up and I was just like, where the fuck is this house, man? Because he lives in a cool little house, doesn't look like a house. It's like a, an, an old church style thing that he's renovated. Um, and I was just looking around, I was like, where the fuck is it? And I heard this voice shout, James. And it was Dan, and he was like hung over his fence with a spliff in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes. He's like, yeah, come around this way. And I was like, whoa. So I go into his house, and like, Dan's probably the first person I ever met in MMA on a personable note like that. Like, of, um, you know, of a really strong caliber. Like, yeah, that was big, famous. Big, like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was so welcoming when we come in, and and then I remember like just being so starstruck and look, I found it so hard to listen to him because I was just, You're just <laughs> I'm in Dan Hardy's house and I'm like, and he's talking to me about something important. Maybe you should listen. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like my internal like, monologue. Because like, especially because he gave me some weed. So I was like, a little, I was even more like, in my own head just looking at him but we hit it off really well and then within the space of like you know what what i came down for with was to talk about the gym and whatever and dan had bigger and better ideas and i was just like right yeah let's do it so we actually started up the channel 
me, Dan, Jamie, Owen, and a few others, um, and we just we just we just got it going. The full reptile. We got it going. Yeah, we just set it up and we got it going. And um, we were really lucky because during that time we didn't have any funding. Dan was paying us out of his own pocket, and with the belief and the idea that we'll get sponsorship and we did really quickly like because of dan's name like all because of dan's name obviously you know we didn't have any subscribers but we got on a massive sponsor that enabled us to do all of the things that we wanted to do and and that's how i got into mma and how i got into mma <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's how you want. then got into would, would you define what you do as MMA journalism? Would no, you, I wouldn't. No. And I actually feel guilty sometimes when people say that. It's surprising. What, why wouldn't you? I don't see myself. Like, journalism is a pretty tight-knit community of, like, nerds and people. And, like, I'm having to, like, censor myself a little bit. <laughs> 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 um, I'll put it like this, right? Um it's a tight knit community of people that care passionately about their work and they went to university for their work and they consider themselves journalists. And then when somebody like me who pulls up, who is cool with a camera and, uh, and can speak to fighters, I wouldn't necessarily call that journalism. Like, I mean, maybe it's evolved into a new form of journalism but the typical journalism of writing articles and you know being good at English for a start and 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 all those other like nuanced things that what it means to be a journalist I don't do any of those any of them like the only reason people could call me a journalist is because I've asked a question and I don't agree necessarily that that makes me a journalist and people have said to me on like and obviously it comes from like friends or like the odd notable person, like Richard Shaw said recently to me, like best journalist in MMA I am. And I was like, I felt weird about sharing it because journalists follow me. I know I'm not the best journalist in MMA and I don't even think I'm a journalist, but I did share it. And then like, then I've got people like Mike Bond from like uh, USA Today and MMA Junkie and Ariel Helwani, like, looking at my stories thinking he ain't a fucking journalist like i'm not i'm i'm not saying that's what they think yeah, in my yeah. Head, but that, that's what you're thinking so i don't consider yeah. myself a journalist i think it's just what people associate that type of person stood there to be doing is journalism like what other thing could you be if you're at a ufc post uh, press conference and you're asking questions well you must be a journalist like who else gets to ask questions just journalists right so i think that's where the misunderstanding comes from but at the same time i don't like it's not like a bad misunderstanding that it's just something that i've thought about for a while and i've realized i'm not a journalist i don't want to pretend to be a journalist i don't want to say i'm a journalist so now i've come out with the idea that i'm just a MMA content creator and that in itself takes on a few different roles sometimes I have to be a journalist sometimes I have to be an editor sometimes I have to be a cameraman sometimes I have to be like 
the guy that's building rapport with people. Do you know what I mean? Like the the psychology side of what it is being human in martial arts. And um, yeah, that's it. So no, I don't consider myself. What, what, is that what you asked me? Do you yeah, consider yeah. yourself a journalist? No, yeah. I don't. No. Okay. I would say you are. Yeah. I'm not that I'm no, an no, expert no, no, on no, journalism. No, but I would say you're the journalist of today. I think you're right. Traditional journalism was very different, but that was a different time. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, from my perspective, what no, you do is MMA journalism. Yeah. And I think if the traditional journalism guys who did you know an English language degree at university or did a journalism degree at university, whatever it was, you know, get their back up about the fact, oh, he doesn't use Queen's English. That's their issue. Yeah. We're, we're living in a different time now. Yeah, we are. Um, yeah. yeah, things are far less prescriptive. Things are far less institutionalized and centralized through the use of social media. I think that's a big thing, social media, more than anything, technology and social media in particular. And because of that, a lot of traditional definitions now have kind of been wiped off the table. Yeah, I agree with that, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. The, um, I had a point I was going to say, but it slipped my mind now. Um, yeah, it's gone. So... I suppose the answer to this question I've got written down is... That's what I was going to say. Sorry. That's all right. I kind of like... what I feel like what I'm doing as well is like... It can be looked at as journalism because I'm capturing like real moments, like video moments. But in a way, like, is a document... Like, yeah, they are. Like, Louis Theroux makes documentaries. He's a journalist, right? But he also comes from a traditional sense of journalism as well. But what I think I'm doing is making like bite-sized, 60-second glimpses of what could be a documentary, but more of a like instant reactional piece from like that Tom Aspinall just won the belt. I made like a 30-second, 40-second clip, which was very short, but it looked like, like you could watch it about 50 times because there was so much going on at the same time. And... On my Instagram, I, I, I call myself a look-see-do I saw MMA that, and I, I love that. Because that's how John Jones that's has exactly you. How, and is that where you got it from? That's exactly where I yeah. got it from. Because that's what I feel I'm doing. Yeah. Like you put me in an environment of look-see-and-do. Like, and I've got, I've got to be honest, for the longest time, I always heard it when they announced John Jones, and I thought it was like some weird branch of traditional martial art look see do or yeah. like a form of kung fu yeah yeah totally. <laughs> and then i saw you you have it in your bio and i was like oh yeah, that's yeah, what it is yeah yeah and that, and that makes perfect sense yeah so yeah. i just kind of stole that from john but only because it that. fitted well with what i'm doing because you put me in a room like it's behind the scenes of a, of a weigh-ins are about to happen i'm not gonna like make like this is another thing that I have, I've had to learn as well. And I know I'm going off in a bit of a tangent. Here, no, no, but, not at all. Um, like when I first got into, like, I got into video really late. Like, I just, I knew I could do it because I could do photography. And that's what I was mainly doing. Photography, 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 photography. And Jamie showed me some of his videos that he had done for people. And I was like, shit, this is well good. <laughs> and, and I don't mean this like, if you can do it, I can do it. But like, I was thinking, like, shit, if you can do that, I can do that, we can do that. So then I was just like, okay, video, 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 video. And then from there, that kind of opened up so many new doors for me that 
I was like, okay, I'm going to put down the, the photography and we're going to go into video and take the same premises that I learned in photography, which was a similar look-see-do kind of thing, especially in street photography. Like it would be like, um, like in New York, I'd be like stood on the side of a street. And this is where I learned to go up to people and talk to people. It was all through this kind of training. Like, okay, because I was going to ask you about that. You're incredibly good at being able to get the best out of people and, and not just striking up conversation. That doesn't do justice to what you're good at. You're not just good at striking up conversation. You're good at building a rapport with people very quickly and then being able to basically extract the truth out of them, extract their genuine self out of them because everyone's got a facade. Everyone's got, you know what I mean, the, the ego self, yeah, whatever yeah. you want to call it up. And you're very good, I think, at being able to pull them through that. So yeah, is, that where you, that. is that where you say you've well, got Well, yeah, to a certain it degree, it's definitely the courage to, to, to do that came from, came from that. Like, you know, New York was one of those places where I fell in love with really early. And it taught me so much about myself and holding a camera, like the physical emotions of dealing with the anxiety of like holding a camera in a space that you don't really want to hold a camera. Do you know what I mean? Because it must feel quite unnatural, I imagine. Yeah, oh, totally. First. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like you're, but it's only when you go home and you watch a photo go away from you because you didn't have the courage to go. That's why I didn't have the courage to do. And that's when I go home, I'm like, what a pussy. Why didn't you do that? Just because They're not following you home. Oh. They're never even going to see you again. Why don't you just do it next time? So I was just like, okay, fine, I'll do it. I used to like, love capturing like raw shit street street stuff on the street raw photos of whatever was going on and i used to like to get me going i'd stand in a specific corner of the street and i'd find like a cool shadow on the floor and i'd wait for people to walk through the shadow and i'd like so like maybe half their face is black and then like the other face is in the light but they're walking and got a fag in their mouth or something and I used to watch these pictures go by because I felt like they gave me some eye contact. And then I'd go home and I'd edit and I'd think about the pictures that I didn't take more than the ones I did. And so I started learning like, hey, fuck it, what's the worst that can happen? They're going to tell you to delete it. Okay, we'll delete it then. So what? So then I just started like getting comfortable being uncomfortable in these, in these situations. And I'd just take these pictures and there was times where I didn't really enjoy taking the picture, but when I'd go home, the picture that I least enjoyed taking the most gave me the biggest reward at home when those people weren't around anymore. It doesn't even matter what they think of me. So you can think I'm a weirdo or whatever. Like, they don't know me. I'm home with this great photo that nobody's questioned how I've got, really. It's a few some people might, but that really taught me to just stand in the middle of stand in the middle of it and just feel <laughs> and that's all I do now like when I think like sometimes I'm like look at, looking at what I do and I think like man I'm I think I've just cheat coded my way here like with little tactics and it's worked for me though and then other people like you will like put like this bow on like what I'm doing and say this but when I look at it it's just it's like a rusty cheaty little wire with a, like a <laughs> hack on the t you know what i mean like because it, do, it does to, to <laughs> us it looks like you know what i mean you do it all so gracefully yeah um but that's i, th I think that's the mark of anyone that's really good at their craft they make it look effortless yeah when really 
there's not just a lot of effort in it. Like you said, it's not it's not a straight line. It's it's messy. Yeah, it is very messy. Yeah, but make, being able to make that look clean and natural. Yeah, totally, man. And and then I just thought, fuck, I just need to get into martial arts, and that was the only thing that I I cared about. Just I just need to somehow get into martial arts, and I was just so thankful for Jimmy. Like without Jimmy and Dan, like I wouldn't have the life I have. Without Jimmy opening that door for me to meet Dan and then Dan opening the second door for me to run through. And yeah, it was crazy. And I, I genuinely mean it from the bottom of my heart. Like I owe I owe it to those guys. I like proper owe it to them. Actually I had a chat with Dan in Saudi. It was really, really nice to see him. And uh I was telling him that and and he he was like, no, 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 no. You, you, I opened the door, but you ran through it. I was like, mate, you like helped me run through the door as well. It wasn't like, just, yeah, 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 totally, it. man. Yeah. Like he guided me through into the room. Do you know what I mean? For me to do all of those things. And I'm just like, I just hope that they know and understand that, you know, like I really truly do owe everything to them and anything that I can do to help in any of their lives I want to and I want to be there and I want I just I feel in debt like massively indebted to those guys really do so that's how that fucking messy tangent and how I got into MMA but that's that's it (laughs) um I've got written down here who was the first big fighter like famous fighter that you interviewed I suppose the answer really is Jimmy and Dan but um you talk about Dan opening that door, you running through it, you run through the door into the room that is professional mixed martial arts, not just professional mixed martial arts. Yeah, it was like the world end. class. Yeah. Mixed martial arts, the <laughs> yeah. UFC, you know, the Goliath, the Mammoth, however you want to call it. Like, can I tell you a quick story? Yeah, of course. You can. My, like, so I used to ponder about this like all the time. Like, I really did, mate want to get to the UFC that was my dream job and I just didn't understand how to get it and I can't explain to you enough how much I used to think there think in my office about wanting to work in the UFC like daily but I knew it wasn't possible I I know I've touched on this part a little bit but when I got back from uni like I wrote on the back of my bedroom door a, a few things because my bedroom door at home and my mum and dad's has just got drawings on and whatever because when I was growing up my mum used to like measure my height on the door like every month so my height is going on the door there's like stickers on my door or whatever and I actually wrote near the handle um get to the UFC see a UFC fight live in Vegas um and that was it so it wasn't too much but and Dan took me to my first it was it was well, this is what was weird about it is I forgot I even wrote it and I swear to God I forgot I even wrote it until I saw it when I came back from the trip and shut my bedroom door and I was like wow oh my God, that's wow that weird. must have been so you, you'd forgotten I'd forgotten about it and I it was sh- only when you came back yeah yeah but it was when you came back from yeah, the yeah, UFC yeah. that you then closed your door and saw it yeah again for the first time yeah. in years four or five <laughs> And I was just like, whoa, that's <laughs> fucking weird. And it was to the point where I felt like even if I was telling my mates that story, it would just sound wishy-washy. It, sa- it sounds like, well, it's incredibly poetic. Yeah, it People was, wouldn't believe that. No. And I remember like being there in Vegas, just like 
sensory overload, just like, how am I here? How am I here? Why am I here? Who gave me this? Like, what? I don't even deserve to be here. Why am I here? I've just been thinking about being here. That's all I've done. How has that got me here? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was just like, so confused and, but happy. And what, what event was so obviously UFC 204 was the first event you went to but you just went as a fan yeah. for your own ticket yeah. what this was the first event you went to as an MMA oh, sorry, well this is the MMA first journalist. event I went to to Vegas yeah it wasn't the first okay. event I had done I think it, it, the first event I ever did was UFC London working it was UFC London Till vs Masvidal okay. that was the very first one I did um, wow, what an event. Yeah, um, it was. your first one. I know, mate. It was wild. And then what was the one in Vegas? And do you know what? I actually can't remember what the one was in Vegas. Because um, there were so many trips to Vegas I was say, after the, that. that you've done kind so of many now that, yeah, yeah, it must be hard to keep up with them. Yeah, the, yeah no, it is. It, it really is. Um, I yeah, for the life of me, I can't remember what the first one was in Vegas. It might have been... No, it wasn't. That was the. No, it wasn't. I can't remember. I'd have to check on online to yeah. see what it was. But it wasn't necessarily who was fighting that was so poignant to me. It was, it was the the event, the as a event whole. as a whole. The fact, just seeing the UFC. I remember those first times of like being around the UFC and just seeing the logo would blow my mind. Do you know what I mean? I'd fly over to like Vegas and they'll be like like a UFC poster in the airport or something. And I'd be like, whoa, we're here, we're closer. And you drive past the UFC PI with the UFC logo on the building. You're just like, shit, this is where it all, this is it. This is where I've seen all those videos and they've embedded and like, you know, all of that stuff. And it was, yeah, it was, it was just wild, man. I, and I really like was grateful for that. It was one of the, one of the moments in my life where I really learned about gratitude and like how important it is to have gratitude and to like, and I, and now I'm one of those people that like, and I see a lot of other people in the industry and they don't have any gratitude. They're just like on the ship sailing. They're happy, but they're just, they're on their directional ship going to where they want to go. And they'll probably be, do their gratitude when they get there type of thing. Yeah. But you never get that. But exactly. You so I'm, I, yeah, exactly. So I do my gratitude like when I feel, when I feel, when I feel it, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I absolutely love taking myself out of an exciting situation just to go stand outside, have a cigarette or whatever for two minutes and just like, there's the amount of times I'd be like in the middle of like, like the media day and there's like a half hour break and you've just had like McGregor come through, you've had Donald Cerrone, all these guys, and you just like, you want five minutes just to go outside and sit down and just look around just, just you and just be like, and then look into it from exactly, a third person perspective. Exactly. That's the best way I've heard anyone say what I'm, what, I'm trying, what I'm trying to do there. That's exactly what I'm doing. And it gives you a superpower. Like, I feel like I've just had 10 monster energies when I come back inside. And then I'm like, well, I, need to, I want to fucking smash this. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. This is so sick. I can't believe I'm here. And it's so important to keep that I can't believe I'm here type attitude. Not like in five years, oh, yeah, I've been here. Now I'm just here doing my steps. It's like every time I go away, 
I want to feel and I search for that, I can't believe I'm here. Whether it's like a two second moment or a two minute moment, every day, at some point in the day, I'll try and go get that out of my day. And that's one of the weird shit things I have with smoking uh, is that I learned to kind of get that out of smoking. Like, and I don't think that, it's like obviously I'm having like one healthy psychological experience, but mm. at the same time, what I'm getting out of that is it's killing me as well so i'm just like so interesting that you you say that because i remember someone saying i used to work at uh the tesco near where i live and um someone they were a smoker they were talking about going out for a fag break and they said you know what i think non-smokers could take a page out of smokers books like go outside you don't need the cigarette yeah just like rather than waiting all day for your half hour breaks take five minutes outside yeah like and gain some perspective chill out a bit, whatever it is you need. And it it is true. It's so true. And like, you know, I always used to describe it as like having a friend with you. Like if I'd go to, if I would be in New York and I'd never seen the Statue of Liberty and I wanted to go look at the Statue of Liberty and I didn't smoke, I'd arrive, I'd look at it. That's pretty cool. Now what can I do? Let's go somewhere else. But if I've got a cigarette, what I go there and I'm like, oh, cool, there's Statue of Liberty. Well, I have a cigarette, I have a cigarette. Now I'm forced to stay here for longer because I'm, yeah. I'm having a moment here. And I get that and I've Having learned, a friend with it. Yeah, and I've learned to kind, kind of take that out of smoking. And I don't want to smoke anymore. And I stop smoking cigarettes. Um, but there's definitely like a psychological thing that I take out of smoking that has, I've entwined with my empathy. That's really beautiful. And you're definitely onto something. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to cut you no, off. No, 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 absolutely yeah. not at all. Um, so when I go out, because I, when I explain that to people, oh, do you ever do any gratitude? And I always have to say, yeah, well, I go out for a fag. I feel like a dickhead even saying that so I have to kind but, of but they don't know because it's not the action of smoking no it's not it's what it's being something busy with my hands and knowing that this is I've got a few minutes here because I'm smoking like it makes you just sit and contemplate because you kind of have to and if I wasn't smoking, I'd want to be busy, busy, busy. Let's go, let's mm. go, let's go. I want, oh yeah, I've just seen it. That was wicked. It was beautiful. I've took my picture. Let's go. But I didn't have any time to sit and think in the environment, not necessarily about the Statue of Liberty or whatever I'm looking at, but just to ha- have this meditative kind of moment in this new environment where you're thinking, I got here like through my work and this is what I'm doing and I'm mm so happy and i'm so grateful how do i now keep this going like those kind of moments that that's where that's where like i get my gratitude from and i think it's so healthy other than the smoking side of it and it's now just learning to find something else or just sit just like force yourself just to sit and just think and just carry out the exact same and obviously it's easier said than done but carry out the exact same process just about the cigarettes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't know what your initial question was anymore. Um, no, I, I, I can't remember. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I, I love, um, yeah, I love Tangents. what you've just shared with us. 
I think that's yeah. really important. I think that's really beautiful as well. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I think the question was, who was like the first, I say, big, I put big fighter, but let's say current UFC star. Who was the first current UFC star at the time that you interviewed? Tom Aspinall and Michael Chiesa that I properly interviewed those Tom two. Aspinall? Yeah. yeah. How long has Tom been in the UFC now? Not long, two years. Yeah. Um, but it was only in Fight Island I really kind of so that was executed my okay. talking skills or whatever. When you, you started interviewing and asking questions. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Because before it was previously I was just videoing and I, and I was just like, I was in these like media days filming and uploading and editing, and then everybody else was asking questions, but we were kind of like just recording everybody else ask questions, taking it and putting it on our thing. And I thought to myself, well, there's a mic on my table. Kind of, does that mean I can ask a question? It's like, am I allowed to ask a question? Because I'd never done it before. Mm. And so I was just like, yeah, okay, you can ask a question. So I just, I asked my first question one time, got good response. And I was like, whoa, that's the fucking question. <laughs> and what question was that? Um, I think it was in a media day in Sweden um, and I was kind of forced to ask questions because back then, so the, the, the media days changed very drastically um, from how I started media days to how they are now. They used to be, all the fighters would go in one room, all of them, and they would be sat on a stool and Behind them, you would have like a big sign, UFC, Tom Aspinall, or whoever the hell sat on the stool. And you would free for all, so you'd be going around the room, like, oh, John Jones over there, we need to definitely get an interview with John. So then you'd queue up for John, and when you'd finish with John, you'd go over here and you'd speak to somebody else, and the whole thing would be done in an hour. But there was, an, there was something about that environment that I thought was more interesting than just talking to the fighters. Because you have got all these media people walking around, they're having conversations. You've got like an, a, analysts in there doing the same thing, having conversations. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be a cooler perspective to shoot it through my perspective? Like, okay, well, this is what's happening. So let's do a like behind the scenes of Media Day, where in amongst the chaos, we'll get someone to introduce us. We're at Media Day. We're right here with. Um, Tom Aspinall's coach, Andy Aspinall, let's have a chat with Andy. And then we'd walk off and we'd bump into someone else and we'd do the same thing. And that's how like me, my media days were. So one time I just queued up for some like little question and I just asked them. Nobody thought twice at, like about it apart from me. I was oh God, this is crazy. I've just asked them a funny question. <laughs> and, um, and then from there, my confidence just built and built and built. And Dan gave me lots of confidence. Like he was saying, no, you're doing a good job. And um, I don't know if I believed him or what it was, but eventually I just started doing it. And and I got a little bit better at it, I guess. But I mean, even now, I still don't think I'm great at it. I just, I take myself out of it now. And I just ask the question as if, they're just a normal person like that was one thing I had trouble with was knowing that talking to myself in my head I talked to myself like a, a bit of a weirdo sometimes like I'll be like interviewing someone and, and I'll be start thinking about thinking 
And then and I was, what the fuck are you thinking about? Thinking for? You need to think about listening to this guy. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but like, I just, do you know what I mean? I'm <laughs> yeah, battling this really thick conversation in my head. <laughs> and it winds me up because it's so stupid as well. And I'm just like, well, concentrate then. But like, you concentrate. Like, I am trying. <laughs> And then like, and that was like one of the biggest things that like I I struggled with because I was so in awe of these people, and I was just like, oh my god, there's fucking whoever I'm talking to, and they're looking me in the eyes, and I'm like, <laughs> you're so in awe of the present moment. Yeah. That it was difficult to put yourself in it. So. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, mate. Summed it up nicer than I did. Um, yeah, that was that was very difficult uh, to get my head around, but I just. I just realized eventually, I think the more you do something, the more you realize, A, nobody cares, even if they're watching you. And three, you're not that great anyway. So like, relax. You know what I mean? Because you're either battling the negative side of your emotions or you're battling the yeah. overly positive side of your emotions. I wouldn't agree with the second part because I... Well, right, I, you're, I you're, you're great. I, I f- yeah, I'm not alone in saying this. I think anyone would say, not just people in the gym, but anyone that knows you in the industry, that's another thing that I was going to ask you about how you're able to ask the questions you are. Because I think the two things that make you greater what you're do- the greater what you do, sorry, is that you're so approachable and you're able to, like I said, extract people's genuine personality out of them. And then once you've extracted that out, or while you're while you're extracting that out you're able to ask questions which really garner good insights. A lot of, because every other, not every other, but most MMA uh, media members, it's the same questions, it's the same responses. Well, the only reason... And you've definitely shaken that up. The questions you have, yeah, well, where do you, where, what's, do you have a process? There's a reason. Where do you get well, the no, there was a, a really simple reason that I was doing that. And it wasn't due to anything I'd done myself. I wasn't trying to be smart. I wasn't trying to do anything out of the box. I just wanted to be included in the community. And I was stood on a fucking, at a desk where I could be included. But everybody else had already asked the same questions by the time it was my go. Okay. Oh, That's wow. As so it rose out of necessity. As simple as that. So John Morgan would ask his question. Oscar would ask his question. Jose would ask his question. And both of the, all three of them would probably ask three to four questions each. That's like nine or 12 questions that I've got. Now they've all gone. So you were so forced I would write my question. Yeah, so then I was like, I'd have to, to. If I wanted to be included in the community, we either shut up, take what you've been given, or think outside the box. And I didn't even really think I was thinking outside the box per se. I just thought I was asking a different question. That was, that's how I looked at it. It was just like, well, if not asked this, and I've forgot, uh, forgot he did this then, and then blah, 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 blah. So let's ask him about that. It was, that, it was literally that simple. And then people would come up to me like, oh, mate, your questions are well good. They're like, pop out of my mouth. Oh, cool. <laughs> I, th- I think the necessity of it definitely put you in a position to ask a different question. But I think what enabled you to kind of like pull the trigger so to speak in that situation because not everyone would be able to like you said the other option is shut up you don't ask a question or you could ask a different question but it'd be completely rubbish what was able to make you pull the trigger in those scenarios is it goes back like you said to being creative i think you're i don't want to say naturally very creative because you of course have worked very hard at it as no, well but i think i'm but you have a very, very natural creativity yeah. about you 
I'd agree with that. Like, I do think I'm creative. I don't necessarily think my creativity is always good creativity. Sometimes it's harmful creativity, but... In what way? Like, um, the smoking. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, but it's like, it's creative patterns of thought. But I definitely, um, I definitely do. I've just seen it throughout my life. So I do agree with you there. Um, and then, like, I think it's just a byproduct how I include it into my work. It was just, like, it's an accident. It's just because that's the kind of guy that I am. And then people look at it and then they'll add their own assertions and connotations to it and build, like, a grandiose, like, meaning and, like, oh, James is like this because he does this. And, and in my head, I'm just like, nah, just, like, it's, for me, it's just how do I get from A to B, then from B to C? Like, I'm... Do you know what I mean? It's just step by step, like simple thoughts, and that's it. Like uh, the fact I was asking different questions just because I couldn't ask, how's your fight? I would have asked it because, like, back then, I wanted a nice, easy question. Like, what? Asking... And, and those questions are asked. Obviously, they do get a bit monotonous, but you yeah. obviously want to know how's your training. Of course, coming? I do want to know those things. Anyway. You, you know, what do you think of the fight? You know, those questions that become monotonous are questions that need to be asked. Yeah, and. If no one asked them, well, people wouldn't have, you know, a lot of 100%. answers, a lot think, of the answers the, that they want the most. The problem with fighters is they have to answer that to everyone that they ask, but everybody that they ask wants, needs to say it. They kind of need to say it for their company, for their media. Yeah, so, so they can put it on their exactly, reel. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's all, all that is. Um, but yeah, no, it's... it's um, been definitely interesting moments at times with, with all the questions, that's for sure. <laughs> Let's talk about the big question. Though. Yeah, go on. And this was this was yeah, this was at Fire Thailand. Yeah. Uh I'm trying to remember the exact date. I think it was January twenty twenty one. Yeah, it might have been. Connor Foyer <laughs> two. The question that I'd say broke the internet. Maybe that, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but it did. It, it did. It did it, well. It, it went it? absolutely yeah, viral, yeah. and the amount of times that's played over and over, it's, it was played on his McGregor Forever documentary. The question that you asked him, and I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have it written down. You read a tweet to Connor. Well, it wasn't a tweet, actually. No, um, but carry on. I read a. a, 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 a it was a quote. Or say a real quote. Okay. We'll just okay. Call it a quote. But he, I think did he originally tweet it? No. Oh, did he not? No, no, no. Oh, I no, thought no. he tweeted no, it. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, no, no, it's fine. I'll explain where. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it's I'll, just a quote. I'll, I'll paraphrase yeah. the quote yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you take it away yeah. from there. You, you read his quote to him. He said something along the lines of, I've lost my mind to this game like Vincent van Gogh. I'm obsessed. I'm kind of going crazy in doing it. Yeah. But where my whole family's set up, when my kids' kids don't have to worry about money, don't have to worry about where they're going to live, what car they're going to drive, all of that, then it'll be worth it. Yeah. And then I'll be happy I lost my mind. That's yeah. the end of it. Yeah. 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 Talk so, us through that. How, how you thought, how you came across that question, how you thought to ask it, what, well, I, what the response was like in terms of from him and then from, you know, the MMA sphere, because it did, it went viral, it blew up. And yeah, it did. It went, it went way more viral than I expected it to go, that's for sure. Um, and again, I could sit here and be like, yeah, man, it was like the most well thought out thing. It took ages researching it, blah, blah, blah. 
I didn't. I actually um, did it all in about 20 minutes. I went, I was at Fight Island and everybody was having a few drinks at the bar. And I knew that tomorrow was press conference with McGregor. And it was kind of like my first encounter with McGregor because I, well, it wasn't, and it was like, if you want to go on the McGregor stuff pretty quickly, I'll, I'll entwine it all. Yeah, but yeah. Like, no, please do. Please um, do. He got me into the sport. There's no two ways about it. And um, I was infatuated by the by the guy, like to a point where it was cringe. Like <laughs> before, I was like working in the space. I, I was in, and I think I, like I I got into the UFC much earlier, and he was coming up, man. Yeah, like I wanted to be Conor McGregor. Yeah, yeah, everyone wanted and to be uh, Conor McGregor. In there 2015, was... everyone wanted to yeah, be Conor McGregor. Yeah, okay, good. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to dress like him, sound like. Yeah, yeah. I wanted an Irish accent. Yeah. I wanted the tattoo, you know, the gorilla tattoo on my yeah, chest. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. It was. It was. There was. Just something about about him, and I was just infatuated by him. The way he speaks, the way, he, the mainly the way he speaks, and the way he thought back then. I was just like, this is so cool. And uh, you know, like, I went to UFC two hundred four completely on my own. It started in Manchester. First fight was one a.m. Finished at six a.m. Then I drove home. And McGregor. Then he like I remember I was like. Oh, I'm never going to see McGregor fight or anything, but I would like to see him one day, just like to see him with my eyes. So I bought this like um, talk that he did with Ariel Helwani in Manchester. I remember that. Do you? Yeah. yeah. I went on my own to that and just sat in the audience and watched it and I was buzzed and I was like, wow, there, like, there is there's McGregor and there's Ariel. Like, wow, this is crazy. This is like such a unique ex- like MMA experience that nobody in my friend circle understood apart from me. And he'd, be, he'd become champ champ by that point, hasn't he? I think yeah, that was think... between the Eddie fight and the Mayweather fight. Was it? I think, I could be wrong, I could be wrong. I would like to think it wasn't, to be honest. I could I could be wrong, but I think, I don't think he'd fought, do you know what, I actually don't know. I actually don't know, it'd be worth actually checking to see. Uh, Just because I remember a line of Ariel was asking him about uh, Dee being pregnant, I think with Connor Jr. And he was like, ah, oh, you know, it you was around that like, time. Start, you start yeah. all the first questions, and you're going to get me in trouble. I, I just remember that. Yeah, scene, yeah, that no, you're right. Yeah. And I, I remember Junior was born just before the Mayweather fight. Because I remember them walking I think, out. I think him, you might be right then. The, yeah, uh, yeah. The a, a weird, a weird random memory. No, no, <laughs> I think you're right. Associated I, with, but, yeah. I thought maybe I'd been in it a bit longer than that, but I think you're right. Um, and um, so yeah, I did all. I went to went to that saw saw all of that. I forgot the initial point then. What we were talking about? Um, we we're just talking about well the, the McGregor question, and then you're kind of tying it into obviously he's who got you into the sport. You yeah. wanted to kind of like see him with your own eyes, hear him talk in person. That was when it, you first got that opportunity. Yeah, but you were just a fan in the in the audience, I not was. just a fan in the audience. But you know what I mean? Yeah. You weren't there on the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um. And so all, and so because of my McGregor infatuation, I knew so much about him at an early age. Like I knew, I don't know if you ever saw this, but so now I'm going to bring it round back down to the initial question. So I was in Fight Island, and everyone was drinking at the bar, and I knew this. I knew McGregor press conference the next day. So I was thinking to myself, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go watch that old documentary on him, 
from RT Sports because I used to love that. No, I've never seen clips of it online on social media or anything like that. I still really haven't to this day. And it's it's a really cool, unique look into McGregor's early life in the UFC. And I just put on episode two, and within five minutes he had said that quote, and I was just like, when I listened to it and where it was, where he was in his stage of his career, I was like, shit. Maybe I could ask him that. And so I wrote it down and and I and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to do that. Just ask that. Just entwine it. So the first question I asked him was because I knew I was going to lead my second question on to Vincent Van Gogh. And, you know, I like I, I said to him something about like, what type of painting do you want to paint on Friday night? Yeah, I remember that. Yes. Some metaphorical or arty question. They didn't get the great greatest response, but then it set me up to open the Vincent Van Gogh thing, and and then I asked him that. And in the moment, I didn't even know. I I because I was looking at my phone reading it, I was just like, like oh, I need to get all of this quote right, so I'm gonna have to read it. So I says, bear with me for a moment, and I read it, and then I just said, so how does that make you feel hearing that in 2000 and whatever it was? And sat down, and then everything was like a blur after that. I don't even remember what you said back to me. Um, I just remember like. Well, he was sitting there in tears, basically. Yeah, well, yeah, a few people said that, but I mean, I, like, even when I watch it back, I wouldn't say he was in tears. But he definitely felt it. Yeah. But I didn't see that because I was reading the thing. So I was just like, oh, just ask the question. Think that went all right, and then like the internet, what told me that it was a good question? Like the next day, I was like tagged in all sorts of different posts, people remaking the question with music behind and doing all these like other things, and loads of people messaging me. Like that's when I realised, oh, okay, well, that question must have been pretty good. <laughs> 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 but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I don't want to sit here and like fake it and just make it sound like, oh yeah, it was really well thought out. And I think it was though, like me yeah, telling that story, the fact that it you was, thought to go back to it, watch that. There's no denying about it that I, so few other people were watched. Yeah, I mean, there's no denying that it was obviously a good question, but like at the same time, like to me, like if it were. Slid under the radar and never been reposted about it again. I would have been like, you wouldn't have thought, thought oh twice God, about like, it. Like this was supposed to be some massive moment. Why didn't it blow up? Yeah, I wouldn't have thought twice about it. I expected it just to get lost in the archives of McGregor questions. Like genuinely, genuinely did. And then to see it blow up, I was just like, whoa. And then McGregor started following me, and then that. What was that moment like? Well, that I didn't. Been... I didn't actually. The weirdest thing about it was I didn't even see the notification come through. My mate told me McGregor follows you, and I was like, "What? No, he don't." I would have seen that, and uh, then I went onto his Instagram and checked it, and I was like, "Man, what the fuck?" But do you know what? I actually think that came at a detriment and a um, and a positive. It was a detriment because. I was conscious that he was following me. So I was like conscious of what I posted. I didn't want to upset McGregor. I don't want to lose my McGregor follow. Do you know what I mean? You like, kind of had him on your shoulder a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and at the same time, it kept me hungry 
to keep posting and to prove not just not to him but like to myself as well that I'm staying in this space I'm not just like a one-hit wonder now you'll never see me again like I'm staying here and so it came at a detriment but I also wanted to prove to him for some reason I have no idea why because he was following me that I was an active person in this sport and I was like do you know what I mean? I don't, I don't really well, understand would, the psyche want, behind it. Why wouldn't it. you want to impress Conor McGregor? Like you said. But it's I a mean, bit lame, but like at the end of the day, like that, I'm just we being all have completely idols. honest. We all have idols. Yeah. And, well, do you think that's fair to say? Like, you just McGregor an was an idol. Yeah. yeah, 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 definitely. I don't think he is anymore. Yeah. Um, I think um, who he was, I still latch on to like that person as being like I don't know what the word is but yeah you would let's call it an idol for argument's sake like in that era for sure but a lifelong idol I don't think he's a lifelong idol yeah maybe maybe like a hero would be a better yeah maybe I think so yeah but I owe a lot to to Connor (laughs) with that and I and I find that weird to say because we don't really even know each other. Mm. And I also find that weird that somebody can have such a big impact on someone's life that they don't even know their name. Yeah. And I find, and like Connors must have changed millions of people's lives without him knowing, without him even knowing who those lives were. Like that in itself is a a strange phenomenon, isn't it? Yeah. Like, so when you've got a thousand people's lives who you've changed without even knowing, and then you've got the lives who you've changed that you do know, and then one guy's life, mine, feels like you need to know about my life and what and what you've done for it, but there's like, he doesn't care, there's a thousand others that he's, he's done that too, he's like numb to that probably. Do you know what I mean? So it, it kind of goes back to an underlying theme that we've been discussing, I suppose, which is that no matter how spectacular how grandiose something is if you do it enough times it's hard to keep not just novelty i think novelty is uh, the appropriate word a lot of times but yeah that it's hard to keep that awe and keep that perspective of how special it is because like you said yeah. like him changing someone's life him saving someone's life he must have done that to hundreds of thousands if not millions of people that is an incredible thing and that's an incredibly impactful thing and that will never change but, but also, when, if you do that enough times unfortunately your brain can't understand it yeah to the level normal. it needs to yeah you do things enough times no matter how extra extraordinary they are it becomes ordinary yeah and that's i don't know how to describe it that's uh it's a sad thing yeah that's yeah. true though it's true it's just it's just one of the things that comes with success isn't it like eventually it's going to feel normal but that's why it's important to do lots of gratitude like thinking um you know like i don't think things can ever get normal if you truly take a few minutes out of your day every day to remind yourself that this ain't normal you are living your dream life. Look where you are. Look what you're doing. Be happy. Like, without talking to yourself like that every day, a little bit, 
people would be like, oh, mate, you travel so much. Don't you get bored of fucking planes and this and that? And like, yeah, I do. But like, I just, nowhere else I'd still rather be, even though like. It's a privilege. I, yeah, yeah, it's a privilege. And you have to remind yourself. Because like, you know, I see a lot of people and when I hear them as well, like peers and stuff, um, you know, like you'd hear them in the background, like remember being at media days and go, oh, fucking can't be asked to be here. Like, like can you? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I live and breathe <laughs> this shit. I, this is the only place I want to be. And that annoys me sometimes because I'm just like, oh, you shouldn't have this job. Like, you know, I don't think you deserve to have this job. There's people out there in the world. That would kill for it. Yeah, they'd kill for it. And they'd do a better job than you without the degree you've got because they care more than you. And that's so important to me as well. And, you know, like you see people these days going to universities, like side to side, fucking tangent again, but similar point. You see these people going to uni and, um, you know, they've not, they're just ticking their boxes, but like, the person that is going to be better than the person with the degree is the guy that's got all the hunger and drive in the world. You know, like Elon Musk said it, like, best. Like, he doesn't look at CVs at Tesla and SpaceX. He wants to see you. He wants to meet you. He wants to see how hungry you are, how much drive do you have, how moldable are you, how much do you care, how much do you want it. They're more valuable than someone that's had 10 years doing a PhD or some shit that thinks they know it all and blah, blah, blah. And I take that same approach, I think, um, with what I do. And just just keep trying to keep trying to learn and um, not be a know-it-all. Do you know what I mean? And there's been, like, just be honest as well, I think. That's one, that's another thing I've learned. Like, don't make something out it's, that it's not, even if people think it is just like like the mcgregor question i suppose you know what i mean like people had so many fucking messages in my inbox about how did you come up with that question like you are that's the best question ever like blah, blah. and sometimes i'm reading it thinking man you guys are over overdoing this like it's literally mm. just like the simplest question i thought of on bed in my underwear watching a mcgregor documentary and, and it's sometimes things are a lot simpler than people want them to be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, that is definitely one of the one of the things that I think people think was a complex thing to come up with. It really was. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey has a, uh, a quote that I really like. He says, "Less impressed, more involved." Yeah, like that. he says, the more impressed you are by something, the more in awe you are of something. And again, it's, it's kind of a um, what's the word I'm looking for? The words escaped me. Um, we've just talked about how it is important to be in awe of things because you don't want to lose the gratitude for how yeah. special it is. But at the same time, if you're in awe of something so much, you're so impressed by something, then you're not actually in the moment. You're not. I agree. You know, you, you're not actually contributing. You're not actually engaging. I think that's where I was for the first few events that I was doing yeah. because I was so in awe of it. I'd do what, I was, what was needed, what I was told to do, but, like, there was so much more I could have done that I, but I was just too in awe of the moment. Too... I think it's just... That's just a natural thing, though, for anybody that loves what they do and has been given an opportunity to do what they absolutely love for the first few months 
you're just going to be in awe. Yeah. Like you really are, and and it's going to take a couple of years for you to even get to the person you thought you were on day one of coming into that job, just because of that. What you what you've just said. Yeah, and, and that's what I mean. Is that, you know these guys they're asking you, how do you come up with that question? How do you come up with that question? They're so impressed by it. Be more involved. Just start asking your own questions. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, keep practicing your craft and it will come Yeah. because you can't manufacture a moment like that when it requires someone else's response. When it, you know, we've got to have to tango with that in order for it, you know, in order for your question to have an answer. Yeah. If he just sat there, it doesn't matter how good the question is. If he just sat there and, and gone, yeah, that was good to hear that, you know, or, well, this or is next it. question. I feel like then again, it, then it wouldn't have blown up. It requires things like that where it requires two, you know, it requires no, no, a dance right. between two people. Old McGregor wouldn't have accepted that question. Well, do you not think? No, I think like it was lucky I even asked it that, that in the era of McGregor that I asked it. And that's what I mean. It's not even just a case of old McGregor and new McGregor. It was that moment in time. I think that that moment. The Cerrone fight and the second Poirier fight, he seemed to be in his healthiest space in life. Yeah. Because if you'd asked it to the old, old McGregor, he was still, you know, he was so hungry yeah. and he was so kind of in the moment that and he, he was, wouldn't be reflecting on that. Yeah. And then if you asked it him now, uh, we'll, we'll get on to that. No, but no, I, don't no, think, I don't think you'd get a very open, honest, No, you wouldn't have. He didn't response. even like talking about the idea Dee was pregnant back then. You know what I mean? Because it would distract him from where he thought his mindset needed to be. So for me to ask a question like that to him back then, it probably would have been met like, mate, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, and yeah. Then would have been, and then yeah, I would, would have been, been a line like that. Joke yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it could have been completely different. You might have still blown up with it. Yeah, but, but not in a good way. Yeah, you're that idiot that asked that question. You're that idiot that McGregor told he was going to chip backstage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, honestly, it feels just like it was just all luck, but it was something I felt as well. You know what I mean? Like, like but I felt it because I was involved. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you were saying, like I felt that this, like I didn't really think about it. I didn't think, oh, but old McGregor might not like it. My brain had already done the calculations, I think, for me without telling me my subconscious brain. Yeah, yeah, this will work. Da, 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 boom. Yeah, in that circumstance, you were yeah. less impressed or involved. Yeah, and look what it led to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no, that's it. Um, so yeah, you, you say you'd you'd met him before in person, though before that, and obviously you've you know interviewed him, asked him questions, been around him. Um, I imagine quite a few times after you've asked that mm -hmm. question, we've alluded to this already, but I wanted to ask you how, if at all. You've seen McGregor. How would I phrase this? Have I got it written down? Yeah. Have you noticed a change over the years? I think the answer to that we've already said is yes. Um, but yeah, talk to me about that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I would say I've noticed a change. Um, and because, because it's different, because obviously we. You know what, everyone listening to this knows what I'm alluding to. When you see the kind of stuff he's putting out on social media, what you see in the news, it seems very clear there's been a big deterioration in terms of, you know, his health mentally, you know, physically it's another thing, but, but mentally, and I'd say spiritually, it seems like he is not in a good place. Whereas before in that second Poirier fight, he seemed in much, in much, a much healthier space and then he lost to Poirier and it just, 
went away and it's I gone downhill the since. Key... Is that the same thing in real life is what I'm asking? Yeah, I think the key word, what you said there, is seems. And that's all I can do as well is tell you what I seem to see. Because as much as you've seen him in real life as opposed to through a, a phone screen, he's still, you know what I mean, it's not like you've gone into his house in the middle of no, the night exactly, or like yeah. seen him actually behind closed doors yeah. and still got his... Still, you know, whatever facade he has up, he's still. Yeah, up. yeah, he does. Um, yeah, I think um, I always remember, and I think it's from the same video, and I wanted to find this clip. He's in a hotel room with D, and they're like dancing to this song, and he says, oh, "I wonder if money's going to change me. I don't think it will, but it's going to be interesting to see." And I remember that like. For some reason, I, I vividly remember that clip a lot, and I and I think about trying to find it a lot, and I, and I would like to find it just to just to watch yeah. that moment back, um, because that's like the that's Conor McGregor just about to go boom and then boom, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and um, you know, what led to his downfall. Was it him losing his fights or was it something at home that led to him losing his fights? I'm, I don't know that. That's answer. really interesting. That's, that's, yeah, that's important to bring up actually because I didn't even consider that. Everyone just thinks it's what we see yeah. in the public sphere. Yeah, yeah. It could be something yeah, yeah. private life no one knows anything about. Yeah, totally. And when you're dealing with what it must be like to be Conor McGregor after a couple of years of that, it must be pretty mental. And, I, and I, It's like when people talk about it, I don't blame McGregor for any of the things that he's done, really, because it kind of seems counterintuitive to, not counterintuitive, sorry, that's the opposite. It kind of seems like what his life has given him would equate to this kind of a person. So yeah, I, I, one plus one equals two. Yeah, so seems I'm, about right. I'm kind of not surprised because if you're told you're God, you're the funniest guy ever, you're like, you're the best looking guy in GQ and you're the hardest guy in the world and, and the whole world is like following you for the first time in in any like NMA person's life. You're you've just taken it to the next level. Now you're like the face of the UFC. Like Dana's licking your ass. You've got fighters <laughs> wanting pictures with you on the same roster in the same yeah. division. It will change. And depending on your personality, it will either change you into a madman or it will change you in some way. Yeah. And, you know, like, I feel like Connor, Connor realized that the guy and who he was being in his press conference was the guy to be, like, 24-7. He was, obviously, when you look at McGregor, like, I think he was this guy 24-7. But I think as his relationship with the UFC developed, I feel like he became a parody of himself. I'm so glad you said that because if, if you didn't, I was going to quote it back to you because I remember you saying that to me yeah. a few months ago. Yeah, and I feel like like that guy at the press conference, he then had to become all the time. And I think he just fell into that like by accident and then you just start acting up and... I feel like you just think you're untouchable and that leads to you having being more deluded than you were in the first place and 
you know, like we said, delusion is healthy in mixed martial arts, but when that cage door closes and then reopens again for you to walk out, it's not as, you don't need that anymore in the real world. And it, and the real people of the real world can spot that a mile away. Do you know what I mean? They really can. And I remember McGregor, it was after the Nate Diaz loss, the very first Nate Diaz loss, people and casuals, that's when McGregor started like going downhill. Like it was just like, yo, he ain't what he says he's, is he? Oh, he's fucking lost to Nate Diaz. Oh, what the fuck? And then he wins, then he does the Alvarez, and he goes back down. And I don't know. I, I feel like it's very hard for me to sit here and say, yeah, he's changed. And like, oh, I think he's a dickhead now and blah, 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 blah. Because I don't really know him as a person to say to hundreds of people on a podcast, like, yeah, he's a dick and blah, 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 blah. Because I actually don't think deep down he is a dick. I think the way that his life has played out, the options that he's been given in his life have kind of make anybody a bit of a dick. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you see these kind of kids growing up that have been given everything in their life before they're fucking 14 and they're dickheads. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to get given everything from when you're 28 to 42, like everything, you'll probably be a dickhead when you're 42 as well. Do you know what I mean? Depends on you as a person and your moral compass as well. But if you're like a street fighter, MMA guy that has grown up on the streets, having laughs and shagging birds, and it's probably not going to be a healthy outcome for, for, for anyone. And there's some parts of me that understands a little bit when I see that of why the UFC do cap fighters with Fenway because they they lose as soon as they start paying them loads they start fucking losing them <laughs> mentally and physically. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I think like if McGreg- McGregor had never been paid what he had been paid for his Aldo fight, his Floyd fight, his Diaz's fights, and he was in a position where he had to keep fighting to maintain a lot of money, you know, still wealthier than 98% of the world, I think he would still be that guy. But I always, I, I think it's just money that has changed has changed him. Um, it's got to be. I can't think why else. It, I mean, you just look at it all and... It's all just a level up. Now he's going head to head with Money Mayweather, who's like this flamboyant money guy. And that's what McGregor's identity is in the UFC. But now he's battling that against a boxer who really is the biggest in the world of having the flash and the money and the cars. And then he's finished that fight. And then he's got even more of that juice. And it's just, I don't really know if what I'm saying makes a lot of sense. No, no, it's, it's, makes, quite, it's quite. Yeah fucking all sense. over the place but like i don't really know how to answer it like straightforwardly without yeah. just saying yeah he's now a dick but i don't think that's the right thing to say yeah yeah does it does it feel unnerving has it felt unnerving to be around him at all recently uh, he seems like a very it's felt like person to be around at these events now yeah it seems like he could just go off on anyone at any point yeah i do feel a little bit of that but i think that's just my what I've built up in my head of how I see McGregor. Um, but when I saw him in Saudi, he was like 
he was like, what's up, James? What's the news, mate? Or some shit. And I was like, cool. And then he started talking to me. And then I felt like he was just a bit, like, glazed. Like, I felt like um, a bit robotic. I felt like he was just a little bit inside himself, but talking to me. Yeah, you know what I mean? Not really like, that. Not, wouldn't look me in the eyes that much. Um, he was just a bit like, I don't know, maybe it was the body language of somebody that didn't want to be spoken to and I'm over-reading what it is because, you know, there's times I come in the gym and people start chatting to me and like, the, and I feel like I'm giving off shit vibes, but it's not because I think I'm amazing or whatever. Or, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I have you, to kind you can of, only read what's on the surface, but you don't know what's, but, and then related, you don't know what's projecting that yeah, onto the surface. Yeah, but I can only read something based on a, understanding how I feel. If I, can't, I don't understand how I feel, I can't read what somebody else is doing, but I know that people aren't the same. So this is just what I think if I was McGregor type thing. But um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, it's obviously it's changed, hasn't it? And for exactly what reason, I don't really know, other than money and fame. And no, they're very easy answers it. to give. Yeah, but I, I do think maybe it is as simple as that. Like I said, I think it's a combination of factors: money, fame, prestige, or. This, but there's a lot of times as, as well where you don't can't be asked to talk, and and so I feel it in a very small way, and I always walk away from the from the moment feeling guilty or like you're a dickhead James what the fuck but like you know like when I get back from trips and like everyone in the gym is like oh yeah how was the trip mate well, well yeah sick what what like I actually find it uncomfortable I, I don't know what the fuck to, I don't know what to say yeah like uh, sometimes you don't want to say anything yeah so sometimes yeah. I don't really even know myself how the trip was yeah like, yeah I don't know what to but tell I you I understand that they're asking from a like a really nice yeah. perspective and they they just want to know like oh was it cool what did you do who did you see but like i've this is something that i've got to get better at with myself um but i don't i feel like i don't want to be like i don't know how you answer these questions without sounding like some kind of everybody's Take a seat next no, to me. No, and, no, no, no. No, I mean? no, no one's going to think no. I know, I know, but that's yeah, how yeah. it feels sometimes. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'd rather not, like, so now when people say, like, oh, yeah, do you have a good trip? I'm just like, yeah, that's great, man. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And then, and then I feel sometimes they're like, oh, is that what he's going to say? And then they're like, yeah, cool. And then there's, like, a couple of, yeah, it's cool, man, cool, cool. And then I'll, like, and then I'll walk away from that just thinking, oh, mate, I bet you came across like a right dickhead. Like, no, no, genuinely, yeah, yeah. though, like, that's how, yeah. like, even though I know I'm doing it in the moment, like, I can't stop it because I, it's like an awkwardness. It's like a, oh, I've got to tell loads of people about how wicked my life is. And yeah, like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and sometimes I feel awkward about doing that because, I don't know, I'm, I do this for myself and for my own happiness, not yeah. for, like, the clout. Yeah, or not for the people to come over and, like, kiss my ass or, or whatever. Not that that happens, but, you know, like, 
I definitely feel at times people like want to know like like how I wanted to know what it was like asking Dan when I first came what's the what's it like at UFC and then like oh cool who did you see like how did you see that or like blah 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 but every time if I come into the gym and I've got to talk like that I feel like I don't know there's I think it's an insecurity of sounding successful when I don't think I am. Have you a bit of imposter syndrome? I yeah, yeah. That's not the right, no, 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 no. I definitely right had imposter syndrome. I don't have it anymore. I genuinely believe that I should be at these events now. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you do. Yeah. Yeah. But previously, I didn't. Um, but there's just something about some like going into the into HW one after three weeks away. And everybody coming up to you like, oh, how is your trip? How is it? I don't know. I'm physically even thinking about it now. I don't understand it, and I don't understand why I don't want to be like, man, it was sick. It was so cool. I bumped into Nate Diaz and did this and I did that. I, part of me feels like I sound like I'm bragging a bit, almost in the way I have to kind of explain it for people to feel the emotions I felt in in there and get do the story justice. If I'm going to explain it. So, yeah, now I'm just like, yeah, yeah, it's good, man. Like, almost as if I don't want it. Why are you talking to me? Fuck yeah. off. That's the kind of energy I get scared I'm giving people now. And, you know, maybe Connor's reached some new level of that where, like, he just don't give a fuck and he doesn't really want to talk to you and he doesn't yeah. care anymore. Like, he's happy with what he's got and he doesn't, he just doesn't care. And I think, like, when you become successful and content with who you are and yourself, that's when you stop caring as well. But then the care spreads out in in ways that you don't didn't think it would. And then you have to check yourself like, oh, why am I being rude there? Or what's going on here? Do you know what I mean? It's quite com complex thing to try and describe. But uh, ultimately, yeah, I do struggle with that. And even with my parents, and my family members, there's some people that never cared about me before. And then all of a sudden, like, they're like, oh, so when's your next trip? Like, as if my identity is based now on traveling. And then that get, makes me anxious. Like, people care about got... what you do as opposed to who you are. Yeah. Like, and then I'm like, well, I haven't got anything lined up actually at the moment. So, oh, yeah. And then I just like have these weird like mental battles with myself where I'm just like you don't I like you know if somebody the worst one is when a family me I'm chatting to a family member I'm going away for a fight and they're like oh yeah who's fighting and I'm like well I don't think you know a single fighter so I don't even know how to start this conversation without it being long boring and you listening to stuff you don't care about and then then I'm like ah <laughs> and I'm just like, how do I start this combo? And it's like, it's a really bad flaw of mine that I've that I've noticed in the past couple of years, and I've never really noticed a communication flaw so apparent other than this. And you know, like my mum would say, oh, um, back in the day when she's like, oh, who are you going away with? Is it uh, the reptiles? 
And I'd be like, it's fucking full rep, <laughs> You know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> like the tiniest weird things would annoy me about the job. Like when I'd come back home and like them not, them being happy for me, but just not really understanding what I'm doing yeah. was a bit like, oh, this is annoying because I wanted yeah. to fucking understand, but I don't even think you care. You're just happy to see... I probably do, but you're more happy just to see that. They don't care um, about it itself. What they care about is like what my son is it's having on you. Yeah, totally. How it makes you happy. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But then when they pretend to care about the thing, and then they get it all wrong, and they say stupid words, that fucking drives me mad. <laughs> and it's so stupid, bro. It's so stupid. But um, yeah, I struggle with that. Like, I really struggle with coming back from trips and and talking highly about them no do you know what i mean like, i don't like it uh i just like it feels like i'm talking like oh, i'm some super famous guy right? like that comes to the gym and everyone's like yeah can we get a picture you don't maybe it's, it's not like, that. maybe it's you don't like feeling as though you're in some way separate from everyone like, yeah i think so yeah else. maybe it is like yeah. a conformity it could be no 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 but it could be psychologist that it, it, no, it could be. Because yeah. I, I, I feel I that sometimes feel myself. I, I, I definitely like to try and conform with people. Yeah. I don't like feeling as though I'm different. I yeah. that's a flaw. No, 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 totally. Totally, man. It just feels like... I don't know. I, I'm grateful that everybody is like loves what I'm doing and like don't want any of those feelings to stop for those people, obviously. But at the same time, like I really struggle with talking about what I do in a informal situation to other people in the gym. I don't know why that is. It's like, it's so strange, but I just feel really uncomfortable just as if like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's really strange. It's very strange, but it's one of those, you know, when you've like had a chat with someone and you've given it like 5% energy and you walk away and you're just like, yeah, I think you could have been a bit nicer there. We're giving a little bit more to that person rather than like shutting it down and just switching the question back to you. Like, yeah, yeah, good. How's your day? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you, you weird, mean, if you give everyone 100%, you've got then nothing left inside for you. Yeah. That is that classic. You've got to be selfish. Yeah. You've got to be selfish. You've got to have a balance of selflessness and selfishness because if all you do is give out, give out, give out, and don't take anything in and don't keep anything in, then you're going to be empty. Yeah. So. I think, like, when I was growing up as well, I was very much that guy that wanted to be loved. Like, I'd do things to be loved. Like, and now I'm not that guy. And I'd want to, like, like yeah, let's talk about this that I did. And, like, yeah, me, me, me. But I feel so... I think that comes from an insecurity of not actually having anything and wanting to have something. But now I've got something I want to work towards on being the best that now all of a sudden I don't feel I've got anything to show anybody because I'm doing this for myself not for you guys so when people are like asking me loads of questions about the trip and what was it like and who did you see and I'm just like kind of shut down a little bit I'm just like I don't want to talk about what I've been doing I'd rather hear about your day do you know what I mean like mm. what have you been doing like don't want to sit here and just tell you like oh yeah it was good mate like the fights were sick saw this like it's the same every trip i had the same response for you otherwise do you know what i mean 
Well, you, you've got a good answer now because someone asks you, oh, what do you do? Or, you know, how's your job, etc. You can tell them, go watch this podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we talked talk a lot about Connor. Switch over to, I said, yeah, I suppose it is the other side of the tracks. His nemesis, Khabib. I'm very intrigued to know what your interactions with Khabib have been like. What's Khabib like in person? Yeah, like a real person. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I don't want to throw shit on Connor. Like Connor got me into this sport. As I said, I'm a Connor fan till to the day I die, right? But that doesn't mean that because I'm a Connor fan, I have to agree with everything he does. And 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 like he's a faultless human. Like no, he's he's got lots of faults. He's not perfect. There's things I don't like about him. I'm not going to suck his dick anymore just to make sure he likes me, basically. Quick, sorry, quick question. Does he still follow you? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe not after this podcast. <laughs> 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 just says, what the fuck is James all about? I've seen this podcast. <laughs> um, but look, it is what it is, man. And if he does, if he unfollows me, I'm not really bothered, to be honest. Um, that's a healthy place to be. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. It definitely and, is. and a very difficult place. Like, yeah, like the biggest guy in martial arts follows you, that's cool, but also it comes with a bit of baggage because if you want that to keep hold of that follow, then you can't be posting much Khabib stuff. You can't be, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, otherwise yeah. you just unfollow it. But like, that's how, that was what my mentality was like for the first year of his follow. I was like, fuck, I hope he doesn't like that. So pathetic, man. And now I'm just like... Right, 99% of people in your position would still be doing that. Now. Yeah, they would, but I don't think they'd And they'd, they'd come say. on this podcast and, you know, oh, no, Connor's still a great guy. You meet him in person, he's still a great yeah. guy. You know what I mean? They, they wouldn't actually give an honest answer yeah, to the yeah. questions yeah. that I've just asked you. Yeah, so. yeah, totally. Well, Khabib's a fucking night and day difference. Like, yeah. Night and day. Um, very personable. Like, my first ever interaction with Habib was pretty cool. So, uh, there was a UFC security, and his name was, uh, shout out, Man Like Slav. Absolute bad man, this guy was, man. Uh, he would make sure that I got whatever I wanted, wherever I wanted. He'd, he'd basically have to look after one of the fighters throughout the whole week. So, he would be like, he'd look after one of the main events. And he'd be with their squad at all times, making sure they got what they want um, and all that type of stuff. And I was always really good mates with Slav. And I was like, yo, Slav, what are you up to? And he was just like, just coming down for dinner with Habib. Do you want to come? And I was like, am I allowed? And he was just like, brother, are you with me? Anything can happen. And I was just like, sweet. <laughs> so I come down and he... And he and I see him, Habib, and a few of the boys sat at a table, and he's like, James, come, come, come. He pulls me a chair and I sit down. And I was only really talking to Slav to start with. I didn't want to seem like, oh my God, everyone, hi, hi. I was just like, hey, what's up, boys? And just had a chat with Slav. And then when we finished dinner, we were walking back up to the hotel, and then Habib says to me, who are you? And, I, and then I was just like, oh. I was thinking, well, how do I? I thought I was like, took a while to answer because I didn't know in what context he meant. I was like, does he want to know my name? Does he want to know my job role? What does he want to know? Who am I? Who am I? <laughs> and, then, uh, 
Slav kind of jumped in and he was just like, this is the best media guy in the world. Um, obviously, I'm not, but this is what he was saying. Right. No, no, but this is what I was saying. You, you got my vote. I, I've said, <laughs> I know, but I keep saying these type of phrases. I just don't want anyone to think I No, nobody thinks that. Um, but on record, he's got my vote. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I was like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, oh, you're media. And I was thinking in my head, like, shit. I don't know if I want to be media right now because <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to yeah, seem yeah. like I'm hungry. For I just want to be me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just like, yeah, a little bit. And and then we got in the elevator and he was like talking to me about my clothes or something. Uh, not in a bad way, which made us a change. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was talking, talking about your clothes? Yeah, I can't remember. He asked me something about my jumper or T-shirt. Um, and then we get into his room yeah, so that's right. So we get out of the elevator and then I explained to him I work with Dan Hardy and he was just like, oh, I love Dan. He's awesome. And then he we, we pulled me into his room and Slav was like, do you want these trousers? They're like some Berka box, boxing trousers, B-U-K-A, you know, like the Russian uh, sports yeah. brand. And he was like, these are Habibs. And I was just like, no way. And he's like, yeah, these, these are mine, but I give them to Slav, but he... You big guy now, brother. So he can't fit. So he gave them to me. So I used to wear these like trousers all the time till they fell apart. Um, and then he he went in to his other room and he brought out loads of Habib Fit Rude protein bars. Like he gave me about fifty. And he was like, make sure you give some of these to Dan. And it was just like it was just like a guy that didn't know he was an MMA fighter didn't you know there's a few guys you meet and you can bring them into a conversation um you can put them at your dinner table with your mum and dad and they won't they'd be like oh what do you do like they wouldn't be able to figure out you in an MMA fighter do you know what I mean and I think Habib's one of those people Tom Aspinall's definitely one of those people Tom you take Tom out of the cage at any other moment and that he's not a fighter like he is obviously he's like the best in the world, and but he's not. His personality doesn't scream. I'm a fighter. I don't go into cages and punch people. His fucking personality screams out like I'm a nurse or something. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like it's not. It's not a fighter, and I find that juxtaposition like more interesting than the brashy. I know I'm a fighter character like the McGregor. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So. They're just everyday people yeah. who happen to be incredible at what they do. Yeah. And what they do is fight. But what's fascinating to me is I know they have the access to pick the McGregor option and, yeah, and be rewarded don't. from mm. it as well. Because that's because we talked about money change, being a factor for McGregor changing and fame, status, all of those things. Well, Khabib's got lots of money. He's got lots of fame now. He's got lots of status. And... He, like you said, he had op- he's got the option to go there, and he didn't. He's not even necessarily gone somewhere else. He's just a normal guy yeah. still. What, what, like, what, do you, so, what do you think? He, what do you think stopped him? Religion, Habib, religion. Yeah. yeah, religion and upbringing. What about for Tom? For Tom, I think I don't know what it is for Tom. I don't know if it's if if kind of Darren Till took that role out of the gym or something. And Tom saw that role of the cocky, brashy guy, maybe enjoyed it, but realized 
less dangerous place to be mentally this that kind of place and it's probably better it's to all be... the cautionary tale yeah yeah definitely like and uh, and i don't know what it is about tom but he's just the most down-to-earth real human and like the occasion never gets the better of his ego ever and that blows my mind like when he won the belt and i was in new york with him and tell, tell us all about that because yeah. i wanted to ask you about that so because obviously tom He's a friend of yours now at this point, isn't he? Isn't yeah, he, he is. Know, it, he's no, not just someone who's an acquaintance who you cover. No, he's Tom's a good a friend. friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what was that moment like? It was it amazing for me as well, because like, I've been there through to- with Tom throughout his whole UFC career and his last Cage Warriors fight, last two Cage Warriors fights. So like, I've been following Tom at his hip for a while. And... I remember when he got signed to the UFC, I remember doing his first ever interview at the UFC. We did a first ever podcast he went on. Um, I did a lot with him. I, when he injured his leg, I was there by his bed throughout the surgery, throughout all the meetings, throughout everything. And I know what he's gone through to get to where he is mentally. And I, you know, like sharing texts to me, like when he was like in his recovery and he's just like telling me how hard and difficult it is. And, you know, like you can sense that he doesn't see any light in the tunnel. And then for him to like steamroll out that tunnel into the sun, yeah. <laughs> like it's like, what the fuck? But wow, yes, you definitely deserve that. But there's moments where I'm like, if I was Tom, the testosterone in my body would have gone into my ego as well at some point of that night. Even if it's not for a lifetime, that night, my I would have been the boy. And I would have wanted yeah, everyone even if to know. Just one night. Just one night, I'm going to be the boy. And he wasn't. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is weird. But in a cool way, it was refreshing, like, you know, like he didn't touch his belt once. His mates were just passing it around and they were walking through the street with it, like on their shoulder. And Tom was at the back with his hood up. And all these people are running over to top, uh, to the person with the belt, like, oh my God, well done. You did wicked today. You did wicked. And then Tom's at the back, like, mate, he's a killer. He's a killer. And like, he's taking none of it. Like, yeah. none, wow. this street, all of the strength of I know, character. I know. The strength of character. I'd be an asshole. I would. I, would. Be. I know I wouldn't want to be, but I know I would be. I, never. I think I would want to be for one night only. Let me be yeah. the boy. Let me walk, walk around, around like with the fucking UFC belt that I just earned. And I want everyone to come and say, "Wow, wow!" Even if you didn't even see it, you're faking it. Like I give it me. This is my moment. Walking around New York, getting all the birds. None of it. Just like with his dad, just like yeah. I think we did quite well, didn't we? Just like <laughs> that. How and much do you think his dad has a, a role a in, massive, in Tom's huge, 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 character? Huge, huge, yeah. huge. Have, not not intentionally. Yeah. Like, not like... I, this was something that happened when he was a kid, it must be. Like, yeah. Because I guess that's this is a really good example of having your father as your coach. It can be bad because, you, you know, if your father's not a particularly good father, then having him as a coach is that really bad idea yeah but if your father's someone that's raised you well with good morals good values and you re- truly respect your father mm. and he's got a good head on his shoulder he's going to guide you well which tom's father clearly has and tom's done. dad is 
it's going to be a brilliant thing. Yeah, and he's not motivated like he's not a Michael Jackson dad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's like um, he only cares about Tom and Tom being happy and what Tom wants. It's not like how much, how much money, money Tom can, can make well yeah, yeah not make him yeah, how yeah. much money can Tom but yeah make. even how much money Tom can make yeah, yeah yeah he definitely thinks about that but he doesn't think again he's not so he's not selfish he's very selfless he's happy with his life he's happy he can retire he's happy he's got a gym like and he's happy his family are there and his family are being successful that's it do you know what I mean and you can see it with Tom as well and it's just like it kind of blows me away every time and I kind of want to say something every time and then I kind of get trapped in my head thinking about him and then I'm not listening to him and then I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry, what were we on about? Just thinking about how nice you are, mate. You know what I mean? Like, it's stupid at times, man. But like, less I take a lot like, out of it. Less impressed, more involved, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But it's nice to yeah, keep saying that, but... It's, it's good to be impressed. Yeah, it know? is. It's it good is. to be impressed by things. No, it is. It is. It really is. It shows you as well what kind of person you can be. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Where with your family and, with, you know, like there's a lot of things that Tom gets with his dad that I don't get. Like that ability to share the mat space together. There's some kind of connection that happens there with a father and son that must be yeah. very special. And I envy that a lot. Do you know what I mean? Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think when a you know, I don't know any father-son relationship in MMA that is a bad one. I can't think of one. Now you've got Richard Shaw, Jack Shaw, absolutely amazing. Habib and Abdul Manuk, yeah, amazing. Tom and Andy, amazing. Yeah, I don't. I can't. I, Wonder Boy and his dad proved yeah. to be amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right actually. Because I was thinking it can go one or two ways. Yeah. But... I can't think of a bad example no, I that I know of, that we know of. I can't. Um, Maybe they've failed so badly that yeah, they, you know, they, they never got to the there. point of yeah. anyone recognising it. Yeah, totally. Uh, There's yeah. definitely something that comes with that. You know, these these fighters that do have their dads in the corner, they're, 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 they've all got, they're all personal. And none of them are dickheads. None of them, like, do anything to make their family embarrassed. They go out there with good, like, like um, good moral compasses on the press conferences and stuff like that. And they come out like gentlemen as well. Do you know what I mean? Every one of them does that. Uh, I can't think of a, an example where, like, you know, some of the nicest fighters in the UFC have their dads in the corner, which is a strange, yeah. strange stat, you could call it. It's, there's definitely something to that, I think. I've got some kind of rapid fire questions for you. Mm -hmm. It's got to be one word answers, okay. so you're not allowed to justify them. Yeah, okay. Top three MMA greatest of all time. Anderson Silva. See number one or number three? So in, in, in order as well. Okay, in order. John Jones. GSP.
I don't know whether to put a current person in or even though they're not or I don't know. Um, okay, let me just have one more think. Because I get confused between who's the best fighter in the world and who do I yeah, like not the best, most. Not, oh, okay, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then Detached the greatest yeah. of all time, like I'm trying to like... Yeah, because best fighter and greatest of all time are very different as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 they yeah. Are. Um, and Habib. So Jones first, GSP second, Habib third. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay with that. Five fighters that you'd invite to your dinner party or invite around your house to have a smoke. You're not allowed to say Tom. I'm not allowed to invite Tom? No, no. And you're not allowed to invite Molly or Paddy. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, Sean Strickland. Okay. For, for a smoke, yeah? Yeah, yeah, okay. whatever you, you, you know, dinner parties like the classic. James Mystery doesn't throw it. Okay, party, all right. He'll throw something much cooler. Sean Strickland, Nate Diaz, uh, Pollyanna Viana. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be. I'm guessing that's just a very attractive female. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so who have I got so far? Sean, Nate, Nate. Pollyanna, Pollyanna, Masvidal. Are you going to give Pollyanna a friend or is she just going to be hassled by it? Well, that's what I was thinking. I was like, well, these guys have got no, a chance all, it's, with it's Pollyanna. We're, we're, living, we're living in you know, your fantasy world. It's all about you. All right, all right, all right. Um, and then the last person for the par party, I think McGregor. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, cool. yeah. That's, that's either going to be the best night that like, anyone's ever experienced <laughs> It's gonna, it's gonna be a house I think on even fire. If it One way or another, it's wrong, gonna be a house. It would be the best yeah. night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a house on fire. Yeah. One way or another. So I've got so <laughs> you got Sean, Nate, Masvidal, McGregor, and Pollyanna. Yeah, yeah. Sean, Nate, Masvidal, McGregor, Pollyanna. That's gonna be a crazy night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see it now. Do you yeah. know what Pollyanna looks like? I don't. No, I, 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 I will be googling her after this. Mate, honestly, for you guys, did she fight in the UFC? Yeah. Okay. She is a smoke show. Right. <laughs> I I remember seeing her at the UFC. It, it's the, very ignorant of me that I don't know who uh, who she is. No, you what weight does she fight at? Uh, straw. Let me see. Actually, no, I think she might be banter. To be honest. So we can put this on the. I mean, yeah. Yeah, she's, she's outrageous. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't look like a fight, does it? No. <laughs> we'll put a picture of her up on Yeah, there. I was going to say, yeah, I was just thinking, like, you'll have to. I don't have the video. I'll do, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll make that work so you can see who she is. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the next? Uh, I've lost where I was after five questions. What percentage of UFC fighters are on steroids? Two. 2%. Two percent yeah. of UFC fighters are on steroids. Yeah. The 98% aren't. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Two or five. Two or five. Yeah, I'll, I'll say yeah. five. 
yeah. But I don't think, I think people, am I allowed to like justify this? I'm going to break my own rule because this is an area of interest. Yeah, okay. There's a lot of people, a lot of casuals I've heard that think most of the fighters in the UFC are on something. And I genuinely believe that they're not. And I think, okay, there might be like two or three fighters in there that are definitely doing something secretly, something that goes under the USADA testing protocol that they can get around somehow and they've got scientists involved helping them. And um, that's going to be very expensive. So you think a lot of them don't have the financial means to be able to circumvent yes. USADA? Yeah. Um, you get somebody coming in on 10 and 10 or 12 and 12 or whatever they're coming in on, 20 and 20. They're not going to be jeopardizing their UFC career for a little... Like, okay, some of them, there's always going to be that one person that will go against every point I've made in this argument and there will be someone for it. And people that just roll the dice yeah, hope yeah. they don't get caught totally, and they don't. Totally. But most of the guys in the UFC now, I genuinely believe that, like, it's not what it's not what they're doing. I re like I was chatting to someone they were like, Yeah man, like at least like half of the roster are on something. That's probably me. I I I No, I, I don't yeah. I, well even if it was you, I, I, I think I've, I think I've had this before. conversation with a yeah. with quite a few different people. And I truly I truly believe that they're not. Um and I mean I, to say this as just a cameraman who's like goes here and there, but I you've got I've, a lot more insight than most. I've spoke to a lot of coaches about this yeah. as well, and um, they're all very quick to to shoot it down and be like, "Mate, it just doesn't exist like it used to anymore." Like, if you really want to do something, then you can, but it's going to be at such a huge risk. You're going to jeopardize your legacy if you're a top fighter anyway, like TJ Dillashaw did. TJ did it, and um, you know, I don't know how he got caught. I think because they don't test for EPO that regularly in USADA, and I think they just might have done that time or something. Um, but I genuinely believe that most of the guys in the UFC are not on any drugs, and if they do get caught, it is probably a tainted supplement. I like 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 the Usman in Bellator. I would like to think. That that was genuinely a tainted, yeah. That was genuinely a tainted supplement. Like, a if you're Muslim, that's all haram, or any type of like drug would be haram. I can't imagine somebody with that much dignity to purposefully go and do something like that. Okay. I, Back in the day in wrestling and stuff like that, it was just part and parcel of the game. Especially in Russia, you know, like they got banned from the Olympics and stuff for doping and and obviously they're Russian. So there's good like lines to point, oh, these guys, you know. Guilt by association. Exactly, exactly. But I do, the finances you have to take, the stress levels that you'd have to go to keep it hidden, to what degree is it even worth it anymore? I think back in the day, yeah, you 
it probably would have been worth it. But I've, uh, from who I've spoke to, from what I've seen, and you know, nobody's taking juice. I think they're all waiting for their career to end so they can take juice. <laughs> to be honest, I know Tom Aspinall is. Yeah, and he'll tell you that too. He's, he's like, as soon as my career's finished, I'm getting wowed. Wait, <laughs> you're already wowed. Wow, two hundred sixty-five pounds. What are you gonna look like? <laughs> Mental. But yeah, I think you know. Yeah, it's a very, very hard one to to talk about with such confidence as I haven't got the, it's a guessing, the proof. Yeah. yeah, but I've got the insights and the right people that have definitely educated me in a way to where yeah it happens but to think six out of ten people are on are doing it in the ufc is a massive stretch mm-hmm. i really really think that i don't necessarily like like in cage warriors and places like that yeah they're all on tests and stuff like that um i don't know what it's like in KSW and Octagon, but they're probably on loads of stuff there. But when you're in the UFC, you ain't going to mess around with with stuff like that. Unless you've been in the game for a while, you understand how the USADA's working with you. you, you understand what they're testing for, you understand where you're lacking and where you need improvement, and then you'll get the right guys in to bypass certain things that are going to have to be testing you to make sure that it's not coming up on these. It's a big old fucking song and dance to do that these days at the highest level because everyone's monitoring you. And uh, yes, there's ways around you, Sada, and, and there's, there's a way around anything. If you want to take it, take some kind of drug, there will be a way around it. Yeah, I don't know. You can speak to a few different people, like even Chael Sonnen. You know, he was super juiced up guy in the UFC and talks openly about it. But he'll tell you in today's day and age, it's more or less impossible to do it unless you financially, like, you've got it all. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then again, who knows? Maybe they are all on, on, on steroids, as Nate Diaz said. <laughs> Back to rapid fire. Who's the most exciting fighter coming up right now? I'll leave it open to your interpretation. They could be amateur, they could be professional, they could you know, be in the UFC, not in the UFC. Who's the most exciting fighter in the world coming up right now? There's quite a few fighters I'm really excited um, to see how they develop. When you say exciting, I don't really know what that means like biggest, specifically. Yeah. Because, well, no, I'd no, love I to know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, like the big, biggest, but not buzz in turn, but buzz to you. Yeah, yeah, buzz to me. Not like who's going in and fighting. Yeah, not just, oh, Hamza Chamaev, because everyone wants to see how yeah, Hamza yeah. Chamaev or um, Rachmanov does or... Bo Nickel, yo, but to you, like, who, who gives you the most buzz? I want to see where they're going to end up. Yeah. Um, I really am excited to watch 
patchy mix i think patchy mix is phenomenal in uh, he's blown my mind for a while how good he is um, and i'm very excited to see where he goes all his fights are sick um but then at the same time i like alexander shabley i think he's amazing um i think he can go so so far um and then you've got the obvious guys like Shara Bullet, I think he's going to be super exciting. Dagestani, who lives in China, he's got ginger hair, he's got one eye, and he's a striker. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's like somebody like click randomize yeah. on Sims. Someone's gone on UFC three and you've just gone <laughs> randomize. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think those guys, those three. Yeah. Oh, and Johnny Eblen. Oh, actually, let me take off. No, I'm not going to take off anyone. Johnny Eblen. There's three Bellator fighters in, in this, to be fair. Johnny Eblen, Patchy Mix, Alexander Shabley, and Shara Bullet. I think I'll be most excited to watch how their four careers develop in the next two or three years than anybody else's, for sure. Still rapid fire. What's your favourite event ever that you've covered? Either the rising event in Japan or the BMF in Madison Square Garden. That was pretty cool. I did enjoy that a lot, yeah. <laughs> and I'll give you another one as well. I'll give you one for um, Bellator as well. Bellator France. That was one of the biggest, loudest, most packed out arenas for an MMA event I've ever better than louder than UFC London. It was insane. It was the, the, insane. the UFC events in France have been getting massive buzz as well. Haven't yeah, they, massive they have applause from the crowd. Yeah, the French French fans are amazing. They're quite intelligent as well. Like start cheering when there's a guard pass or like stuff like that. It's like Someone would like get into half guard and everyone's like, Rah! <laughs> <laughs> like this is sick. <laughs> cool. Yeah, That's it cool. is really cool. What fighter surprised you the most with how they were in person compared to your mm. perception going in? Oh, that's a good one. Dylan Dennis. I'm going to break my own rule again. Yes. Yeah. Give us a couple of lines on that. Okay, well, <laughs> I went, I was in New York and I was doing some stuff with Dylan and I was just like, oh, this guy's going to be a bell end. And like, uh, I was excited to go, obviously, still, but I just had it in my head that it's just going to be like, very blasé that I'm even here, like, just like, treat me like a random cameraman, like, yeah, what? Okay. But he was like the nicest guy ever. Yeah. <laughs> and it took me by right. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah, and he had so much. Yeah, and he had so much time for me, and I walked out of the gym feeling like a dickhead because I was just like, oh, I can't cross up judging people before. <laughs> there's judging people, and then there's you know what I mean. Dylan Dennis has anyone in their right mind is not going to go into you know an in person encounter with Dylan Dennis. I think oh, he's going to be a sound guy. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, purposely, big, yeah. he's purposely curated. Yeah, that. he's purposely. No, he is. Builds personality to make you think exactly what you thought. Yeah, going in. Hundred percent, hundred percent. 
um, and he he was just so nice after and just like quite talkative and made sure I had everything I needed um, and I just remember leaving thinking yeah <laughs> that guy's pretty cool actually and then like four months later he does something that's ridiculous and I'm just like you are an idiot <laughs> <laughs> So uh, a bit more of a serious, deep note to finish. Mm. How long have we been going? Well, over two hours now. No. I'm just going to put it check this. Really? Yeah. yeah. Feels like I've been doing it half an hour. I feel like I've yeah. not even said anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so we've talked about the concept of God a lot, the universe. I the... had a question that wanted to ask you, actually. Because in one of your combos before, you you believe what do you think to christopher hitchens i'm going to be completely honest i have no idea who that is okay well tonight i'm going to send you on a hitchens on a rabbit hole rabbit hole okay yeah um hitchens is like a very notable amazing kind of thinker um and he speaks on the topic of religion like used to speak on it's dead now he died a couple years ago i think maybe a little bit longer but the way he puts things forward is just some of the best like analytical responses to things that i've ever heard he's very like matter of fact he's like a gay guy uh looks like um who's the guy that worked on qi stephen fry yeah 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 stephen fry it looks a bit like stephen fry i suppose bit of a deeper voice but like he talks about his I mean most of his studies and practice and practices and talks are all about how religion is bad okay and but like he does it in a when he gets his points across there they're, they're just right amazing to listen whether you like believe it or not it's not really the point it's just it's just fascinating to listen to somebody break something down in a way you've not heard before that you can take a certain percentage out of. And he speaks on how, because you said um, you think the world's better off for religion. He would categorically disagree with you um, in saying that the world is not better for religion, even though it has <coughs> provided a better life for many people but these people are at the, usually at wit's ends when they find god it's like a last ditch effort in having something in your heart do you know what i mean um and i've always kind of believed that as a atheist even though i don't really know what that word means anymore um, would you class yourself as an atheist what's an atheist mean now because i don't because I've had different meanings, because I've said previously in in my life that I'm an atheist, and then someone's been like challenged me on it. Like, oh, so you think this and that? And I'm like, no. And I'm like, oh, okay, so maybe I'm not. No, no, knowing you, I wouldn't say you're an atheist, but that's, I mean, these are just my definitions. I would say an atheist is someone that does not believe, and this really starts getting very nuanced very quickly. An atheist to me is someone that does not believe in God, and what's God to me? God is a higher power that. You know, it's not bound by the laws of science as we know it. I just don't like the word God. Yeah. Why not? Because, because, because it, it, because it attaches the, itself yeah. to a man. Okay. okay. A figure. And that's not what I'm talking about. 
like yeah. you said, it's, and that's why I've swapped out when I say God in conversations, I'll swap it out for the universe. The universe. I don't even know what that means, but it feels more yeah. relatable. Yeah, to... yeah. So, sorry to interrupt, but I I can use God and the universe interchangeably. I don't believe there's a big man up in the in the clouds. No, but I when believe... people say that, that's the when you say God, that's what people think that I get in my head. Yeah, and 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 then I think, oh, so if they're saying the word God, maybe they literally think. God. And yeah. then I just get I don't like, know how many people. I wonder how many people think that these days because I only know my perspective. I think a lot. To me, I just think I, I think there's I think there is some kind of director at play. Because if someone says world. to you, "Do you believe in God?" Most of the population aren't going to break that down into what do you mean by the word God? Yeah, they're, they're just going to be like, yeah, yeah, like, no. be- yeah, yeah, like, yeah, believe in it and yeah, okay. yeah. To, to me, that's what I mean, and you know, I've. <laughs> Messed about with a lot of psychedelics at this point, you know, um, engaged in lots of meditative practices. I feel like my pursuits um, in, you know, fell running the, the mountain running challenges I've done and pushing myself in jiu-jitsu. I feel like they've also helped me on this path. Basically, I'm always, I'm always on this journey of trying to know God. I, I, I think that's if someone asks me, "What's your goal in life?" I think my ultimate goal is to know God, whatever that may be. And at the moment how I would describe my understanding of God is all, all I really know is I've, I've had lots of depictions, like I said, through psychedelic experiences, through meditative experiences. I've seen lots of depictions in the form of the Buddha, in the form of Christian, the Christian God as it's displayed to us. But all I can say is I feel as though I know there is some kind of director at work in this world. Things don't just happen by chance. There is something out there that's, you know what I mean? Moving the chess pieces. Mm. That's maybe that's, th- not, feel... that's not a very good explanation. That's no, 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 no. I, I, I know right what you're now. saying. I feel like you know it annoys me a lot when I see fighters finish their fight and the first person they want to thank is God. And I'm like, mate, thank yourself. Well that's what I was gonna ask you. You did that's this. That's what it's I was gonna God. I was gonna ask you about the place of um God's place, religion's place in fighting, because we talked about how... Well, fighting's kind of somewhat a bit of a sacrificial, like, holy battlefield. Do you know what I mean? And I can understand why people go to God, because I think sometimes getting beaten to death is a close... Do you know what I mean? It's as close as you're going to get to an experience in this life, out of this life. Yeah. And I don't know, I think a lot of people in MMA are a bit fucked up. I've had great, not great upbringings, things where they've needed a a support figure. A lot of women in MMA have got very traumatic backgrounds, but then you, you correspond that to religion. And, you know, like I was sat down in the park the other day with Joe. And these preachers came over to me and Joe started oh. chatting, yeah, and started chatting to us about God and stuff like that. And I, I was humouring them back, like just talking to them. And um, I said to them, but the thing is, a lot of you guys only find God when you're at wit's end. Like maybe you've gone to jail or something, and you've thrown your life away, and you need a new purpose. This is where religion's great, and I agree that religion's. Be- can be a beautiful thing 
but it's usually a beautiful thing. See, again, like I've got to say this with respect as well, but like there was a debate that I was listening to with Christopher Hitchens talking about is God, people that believe in God are, or God is for the less intellectual people. I can't remember how he put it, but when it, the the title of the debate that is, but um, what he's essentially talking about is that most people that believe in God um, in the stereotypical sense of what religion is, like word for word through the Bible, these people are people that have had a hard life nothing's been easy for them they've been in jail they've done bad things and and they just come to a point where they need a moral compass and the bible provides that for a lot of people it gives people hope that didn't have hope it gives people like morality that didn't have morality it gives people uh, a new self um a new self-worth because they understand why they're here now and all of these things are like they're they're great and i champion everybody in those positions to feel those things and if that's what religion does for those people that's great but i don't i think to class any one particular religion as this is the way this is the one this is the way we live is crazy to me i feel like you can take bits from every religion and not even be religious and take value from it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I don't I, like that's how I look at it because it's a book of metaphors, really. And you take it as you want. It's not some fucking live and die by this book. That's not how I see it. But if you want to see it like that and that improves your life and gives you a, a better feeling of who you are, then you should totally go and do that. But it shouldn't be like some forced doctrination. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And and even like when people are like the guys that were preaching to me, I said, "How did you get in religion? How did you find God?" And they told me some sad story of how he was in jail and how he he come out of jail. And, he, and I thought, well, there you go, just prove my point. Do you think though it's a bit like the thing you're talking about with gratitude? That these people that are in that this position, they've lost perspective on how privileged they are to be in this position. I don't think, think they ever think... even had it. And yeah. I think the first taste of it is th- is through that, and now yeah. they're like, "Whoa, I That's, feel yeah. this thing that yeah. I've never felt and didn't even know existed, and I got it through this medium, the Bible." But there's other ways you can access that so that stuff. Yeah. With that. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I don't think you need to follow a, a mainstream religion. I don't think you need to be. I don't think to be religious, you don't, need, you don't need to read the Bible or read the Quran. I would say I'm a very religious person. I don't prescribe to any religion. So what do you mean by religious? Sir? Just that I, I feel as though I'm in touch with God. That I, it, sounds very, it's very, it sounds very arrogant. I, I don't no, no, no. I feel sorry. like... I feel like it's very what you're getting at is the spiritual side. Yeah, well, that's it. This is where it comes down to semantics. Sorry, just to it say, it is semantics that you're losing. Yeah. Me what I was going to say is because um, I said I feel like I'm in touch with God. That's what I feel. That's what that's why I would say I'm religious. 
I was going to say, um, I believe in God. It sounds arrogant to say, I know God. It's not like I'm some guru. But I don't like saying I believe in God because to me, belief is something, you know, you believe something because you don't know it. If you know something, you don't believe it because there's no reason, you know, to believe or not believe is based upon you've got some evidence in front of you and you're kind of taking a guess. Yeah. You're saying, I, I think that's true. Yeah. To me, I feel like I've, you know what I mean? Again, this sounds very arrogant, met God, but through, you know, meditation, through not even meditation, take meditation and psychedelics out of it, just through life, I feel like I've connected with something higher than, you know, a higher power, a director in this world. So that's what I mean, just to clarify for people when I say, I know God, that's why I'm religious. That's what I mean when I say I know God. I don't feel as though I'm some guru. No, I know what you're saying. Jesus yeah, yeah, Christ yeah. or Muhammad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to go back to, sorry, yeah, to go back to what I was saying, you're talking about the people, everyone seems to find religion through being in a bad place. Maybe it's a case of, yeah, a lot of people find God because they need God. But really, God can be a, a beneficial um, driver, a beneficial force in everyone's life. It's just when life's going great, you don't have that kind of appreciation, you're not in touch because you don't need God in those moments. But if you were to let the idea of a director, a higher power, the divine into your life in those good moments, it would make them even better. Mm. Yeah, no, I can, obviously I can understand that. Um, I just, I feel like, I don't think anybody will understand what God is. And I don't think you Absolutely. can, I don't, think, mean, I don't yeah. think you can get to know the God either because I think it's a construct of your consciousness to some degree as yeah. well. Yeah, as much as you know, as much as I say, I feel like I know God at the end of the day, like I, only, I'm stabbing in the dark as yeah. much as everyone else. We're, we're all having our own experiences of this existence and you know, we could be completely deluded in what we think. Things that we feel as though we're absolutely sure on and we know, we could be absolutely well, wrong. This is, a, this is another reason that there's so many things out there from Earth or civilization just being this could be a simulation. That's what I was about Life to say. could be was a, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Say, like it, like this could literally be a simulation, and we're just living in a vessel at the moment, and there's yeah. a whole other world waiting for us when this passes out, and you know we could even be like a, a mutated experiment from aliens. <laughs> we could be like we could we could just be like. Uh, a form of planet Earth's evolution of having animals and having oxygen and water on the Earth. Like, it could be that simple. It could, it could be, you know, my life so far, your life so far could just be one long dream in, yeah. you know what I mean? But I think what we've got in our your brains, the ability to think and to be conscious, it's that that grapples with the idea of a God and wanting to find meaning to this when really there, there doesn't need to always be a meaning to something and, and especially in no. the universe like, yeah yeah do you know what i mean it's it just is yeah as they say or oh, what's the quote um i can't fucking remember yeah i can't remember um but yeah no i i i, I grapple with the idea that initially I didn't believe in God, and I thought when you die, you just die. And I still kind of think that to a little, to a certain degree. Um, I don't think anything happens when you die. I think you just, it's just infinite blackness, just like it was before you were born. 
can feel exactly, death is just going to be the exact same feeling as before you were born. And that doesn't feel like anything or nothing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, How would you describe your, your interpretation of your experiences in psychedelics? Interesting, not life-changing. Um, I was more fascinated that the mind can show me these things than what these things mean. Yeah, so you, <laughs> you, don't, you don't necessarily feel when you take psychedelics that you're having some kind of um, conversation or connection with anything outside of the world as we know it. No. No. I think That's really interesting. I feel like um, there's just like being everything in my head is just for me in my head, and and that's it. I feel like there's there's nothing else to it. I think that like just because I mean the only thing that makes me curious about anything really is the fact that we all have similar trips. Yeah. Like where does yeah, that yeah. come? Why, why is it always yeah. Aztec, Egyptian mm. vibes? Well, that, that's why I said it's interesting because I think I'm not saying this to try and discount uh, your experience. No, of course. Um, but I, I think you're the first person, that I, like I've spoken to, a person that I know that through their psychedelic experiences doesn't feel as though they're connecting with something. No, I don't. I just uh, feel like external or I've divine some, in that way. No, I feel like someone's just put a new set of lenses on my yeah. my head. And I'm just can see things differently. So it's more like the human connection. Yes, yeah, it's all about me. Between us and the world, rather than something. Yeah, yeah, from yeah. That. Be just because I'm seeing shit when I close my eyes, I, that I'm not relating that to any higher power or that. Oh my, oh, this is. I'm talking to God now, or I'm in His presence. Like none of that, because I'm just having a trip on drugs. Like I'm like. I understand that psilocybin can give you access to certain things, but ultimately I'm tripping on drugs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, there's not really too much else to, 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 to say about it. Like I'm on drugs right now, tripping. It's very easy for me to say I'm in a spaceship and God's riding this through the meteors and I'm going to my promised homeland. Like, like you can think that, but ultimately I'm finding you're just, the truth in life. Yeah, like, you know, this is the most gravitating, you, you know, momentous yeah. thing that I can experience and in life. It might drop a few pennies for you in your life, like make you think about something that in a certain way you've never thought about. But ultimately, this is you versus you in your head. This is just your subconscious showing you a movie. <laughs> Like, that's what's happening, in my opinion. And it's got zero to do with God, zero to do with the universe. If anything, it's an exploration on yourself and how you think. It's not... I don't mix the two between some divine trip. That's kind of quite ancient thinking to me. Like, that's how, like, tribesmen would analyse tripping. Like, it would be like, oh, my God, we've took this drink and... I went to God and like he told me this. It, that, that's just an uneducated. You don't think they're on something with that? No, no, no. Uh, no we're still psilocybin. No. <laughs> that's just, I'm glad we disagree. That, yeah, that's no, the beautiful yeah, yeah, thing about course, conversations yeah. like this. Psilocybin's yeah. fascinating, though. Like you know, it's the biggest organism in the whole world. Like uh, mushrooms are. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. like some of them cover underneath the forests. 
larger patches of space than um, two football fields, and they're really? and they're communicating with that whole area of the land, like talking to the trees, talking to the plants. Like there's, it's 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 something powerful, and something really unique and alien about mushrooms and truffles and that kind of organism. That's fascinating. But to eat it and then think, now I'm so special, I'm having this experience with God, I think is almost a bit deluded. And I feel like that's how our ancestors used to, you know, like a lot of the, a lot of like historical religious texts have since come out like, oh, they wrote this on some kind of like, uh, psychedelic. Or, yeah, yeah. Do you know what B I mean? Biblical stories. Yeah, where when yeah. you put them in the context of psychedelic experiences, they start to make a lot of sense. Yeah. And when you, um, back then, how do you explain that? You don't. It's just like, oh, God gave it me. If there's a flood, oh, God wasn't happy. If there's a volcano, oh, God wasn't happy. Let's sacrifice something. Or blah, 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 blah. That's what that thinking is to me. If you're to go to, if you're going to take some drugs, have these drugs and then say you're having a like definitely a spiritual thing psilocybin but to i i don't think i'm in the presence of the creator of why of, okay. of, if anything i feel further away from mm. the creator when i'm there i'm like in some I'm in a different place where I shouldn't be, where like I'm like behind the computer. <laughs> yeah, and all the outside wires. the rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. No, I, I've, I feel like this is just between me and the drug, and to think it's anything else is my ego. Yeah. I, I feel like I feel like I want it to be. I want to be special. I want to be in it, but I, ultimately you're just tripping on drugs. Like that's the short and narrow of it, and you can define what a drug is. But that's what it is. It's like it's warping your reality, or some people think it's unwarping their reality. Whichever way you look at it, it's, it's something between you and your subconscious. And they're the only things in the universe that know they're even happening. It's just you and your subconscious. Bro, I could talk to you. <laughs> I'd say until the sun goes down, it may have already gone down. We, like, <laughs> we, we could genuinely do this all night long. But we're gonna to have to call it that. Yeah, today. no problem. Thank mate. you. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, no pleasure. Um, yeah, I, 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 I really feel like I fucking didn't give any straight answers. There. No, no, like, no. Mm -hmm. And then I remember something. Then I forget something. No, it was brilliant. Uh, yeah, absolutely brilliant. All right, cool. So thank you. Pleasure, mate. I really appreciate. It.